Welcome to episode 25 of the Kevin Doherty podcast. My guest today is Liam Sheehan. Liam and I have been friends since our time in primary school in Limerick. I would describe Liam as someone who is incredibly intelligent, very creative, and genuinely hilarious. We talked about a bunch of stuff, including nostalgia, documentaries, movies, classic cartoons, video games, comedy, short stories, writing, and creativity. If you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you helped spread the word by recommending it to a friend or sharing it on your Instagram stories and tagging me at the Kevin Doherty podcast. Thanks for listening. Liam Sheehan, how are you getting on, buddy? Hey, Kev, how are you getting on? All good, man. Um, still in lockdown in Dublin, as as are you in Limerick. Um, That's what we have in common, yes. I haven't spent much time in Limerick this year. Like, How is it going for you? It's grand. Um, I kind of have, in terms of like Corona Limerick, I kind of have two perspectives. The first lockdown, I was in the heart of suburbia. And this time, I'm in the middle of town. And... Honestly, during the day, Limerick, is, it feels exactly the same. Like, it just it just feels like a normal Limerick. But when I was out in Gula Wara, in suburbia, it was dead. Absolutely dead. Like, it was like a ghost town. Yeah. It was like the beginning of 28 Days Later or something like that. <laughs> but obviously then, you know, that's the day and night, nighttime, like, the whole city is closed down. Same as Dublin, I imagine. Yeah. Nothing going on. Do, do you feel this lockdown is like a little bit maybe less restrictive or does it feel or a little bit less? people don't care as much yeah, or something? I think that's it. I think the there's, I don't know, definitely for me anyway, There's that fatigue has just set in a couple of weeks ago where you're just like, ah, fucking. Yeah. It was, it was a real relief, I think, to hear all of a sudden all these vaccines have come out like within a week. Everyone's like, yeah, I we know, have a vaccine. Yeah. We have a vaccine. One of them as well was like, uh, one of them came out and was like, uh, it's like 90% effective. And then another one came out and said, oh, we're 95% effective. And then I went back to the other one that just went, yeah, we're also 95% effective. I was like... Oh, right. that's very worrying. I don't like yeah. hearing that at all. Isn't it? But um, <laughs> it it's feels good. like they're all It's rivals. good that like, it feels like there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but it's still a long way away until, I think it's the end of next year till we're kind of oh, yeah, slowly getting that's, things that's, back that's, together. That's the school of thought, yeah. That's what I've been thinking as well. That like we kind of have a lot more of this. Maybe hopefully not this complete level five shit like with this completely locked inside our houses. But like, if people are kind of dying for that normality again, I don't think it's anytime soon. No, and I like think as well, normal, normal. People are looking at Christmas as like, oh, we have to have our Christmas, and we like this needs to happen. And everybody's looking at next year as like, oh, we'll be far more closer to what normal was in twenty nineteen. Hmm. But it is just going to take time, like realistically you're talking another 12 months and it's just like ah oh, fuck it you just have to accept well, it people well see we got to be careful now to have the christmas people want later like I, I don't begrudge anyone really wanting a normal christmas this year i i i do obviously but if people just go mental again and just like stop being safe or whatever it's just gonna keep on going yeah keep on going and i'll, I'll just sit here on kev's podcast for the rest of my life <laughs> i can't go outside have you seen no, your it's, parents um, much in the last couple of months or? uh I haven't seen them since this new lockdown, since the second lockdown. I decided not to, to go home at all. 
but uh, before that, uh, it, it, like I, I was, I was actually with them for all the last lockdown, and then um, moved out in the middle of two lockdowns. <laughs> it's such a weird time. The way we, we split up twenty twenty is so bizarre now. The, t- the time frames, but no, I haven't seen them in uh, since when when it was October. Yeah. So not yeah, not too long, but it feels like a long time, you know. It does because it's Jesus, hard. As Jesus, well. What about you? What about you with your family down here? Like, uh, probably the last time I was down there was August. So it's been a while now. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. looking forward to Christmas, but Christmas, it's just going to be so weird. Cause like at least last time, um, I get, I got to hang out with G, John, we had like a bit of a night in, in my house last year that like there, that's a fun night to look forward to, but you just, yeah, I don't, do? I don't think you can't do it. I think it depends on a few. My, my, no, <laughs> my main attention this, this year is like, I just like, I really want the normality of like me and my brother getting home for Christmas. And everything else, I kind of have the side of my mind. Like, I, I really want to meet up with all of you as well and do that kind of stuff. But if it's just, if it feels weird or we're not quite there yet, I think that, that's the thing I sacrifice first, you know? I just cut you out of my life as quickly as I can, Kev. Absolutely. No, but, <laughs> but that's the main thing. I want to, like, the way we are now, I just, I'm really looking forward to, like, a regular-ass Christmas at home with the family. Yeah. And if I can at least get that, it'll be kind of a win for me, you know? I don't really, like, I, I'd love to, like, meet up with you and stuff like that, but I've got, I'm not doing any Christmas night out or anything this year. No, anything like that. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave it off. I think a lot of people are. I think we might have to. I don't know why. <laughs> we might have to anyway, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of yeah. thinking that all these options are in front of you, but realistically, they'll probably be like, <laughs> it'll probably be like we're thinking we're gonna walk into a buffet in a restaurant and we'll sit down. And it's a set menu. You can order this, this, and this, and that's it. That's your Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, you haven't been working since March, is it? Since the first lockdown? No, we opened again. Oh really? So, yeah. So I work in an um, Omniplex cinema, um, which is a weird one because obviously it's going to close as the levels go up as well. I think level four and level five it's closed, but also it's such a big question mark because COVID is killing the cinema industry quite dramatically. So the first time we closed, we closed in the middle of summer. We opened again, actually much earlier than anyone expected. We opened in July, which I thought was crazy. And it was basically showing old films because there was nothing. Hollywood weren't releasing anything. And then in the middle of all that, your man, your boy Christopher Nolan released uh, Tenet. Remember Tenet? Yeah, yeah. I didn't see it, but I, heard, was, I heard it described like Inception on acid or something mental. Yeah, time, time travel. Inception with time travel. Very serious men in suits talking about time travel. But um, the whole fucking cinema was resting on the shoulders it was it, it was kind of poised to kind of save cinema it, had to, it, it was kind of hollywood proving yourself that if we release a film it'll still make a shit ton of money and it'll kind of you know this is all just this is this is just a mad summer we had everyone normality is coming back and uh from my perspective it did fine for like two weeks and it, it did bring people in mm-hmm. but like looking online and stuff that apparently it didn't do all that well it didn't i don't think you think it made his money back or barely made his money back so this time we, when we locked down, the cinema industry is in a, is in a completely different situation because all the major Hollywood studios have gone like, nah, man, tennis scared the shit out of us. Uh, we're either like not very like, like we're going to push it back to like way next year or we're going to stick it on streaming services. So I'm like waiting to hear like December 1st is what I heard for reopening, but I'm still waiting to hear like what's the coming to story um, about opening again. Cause like, is it, is it worth, can they make much enough money to like, like the place you know to run those projectors you know it's so strange to be involved in an industry that over the space of this year 
could not exist anymore. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm only like yeah, I'm only like customer service, but I know it must be weird for people. Like I know someone who worked out in Troy Studios who was like he working on in production and stuff like that, and that just that stopped. Limerick? Yeah, that's Limerick. Yeah, that's where Dell used to be, you remember back in the day. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and just production stopped. But it is weird. Like, I think it was always going to happen, Kev, with, you know, streaming service and just cinema being a kind of a dying thing. But I think this whole corona thing just pushed it into high gear, you know? It's weird. Like, I, I, I say we'll open. Like, what we did in the summer was we opened and we just started showing a bunch of old films. Like, we had all the Harry Potters and all the Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. And people were coming in for that, but, you know, not... Not loads. And obviously there's restrictions as well. So even if loads of people did show up, like a bus full of people go, we want to see the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like talking fans. We couldn't let them in. Like, you know, it was a limited amount of people in the building. So it's weird. It's weird. It is weird. And not, not even someone who works there, but just obviously like every living person on earth, we might actually watch cinema die. Yeah. It might just all go streaming. It feels bizarre. Do you think as well, yeah. like this... This year, as you were saying, like people are nearly craving Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Like, there's yeah. a real like yearning for nostalgia and for the familiar. Oh man, it's been happening for so long though. Nostalgia sells. Yeah, I think we're in like we're in the height of nostalgia. I think the kind of era of, of things that we loved as a kids. Like, it's mostly kids who are 80s and 90s kids. I mean, it always happens. Um, Greece back in the day was filmmakers being nostalgic for when they were teenagers in the 50s yada yada i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing but i think these days it's everywhere isn't it everything is kind of being repackaged and sold back to us it feels like i think it. i i i and i kind of have a cynical point of view towards all that but kind of for 2020 i don't god but all the shit going on i won't begrudge someone for just wanting that feeling of watching the first lord of the rings in cinema or whatever they love you know i think that's nostalgia is a great thing uh, this year <laughs> If that makes sense. <laughs> I can remember the first time I watched Lord of the Rings. Me and you were going to the cinema and uh, we were going to see the critically acclaimed Vinnie Jones's Football Factory, but it was sold out. And I was Jesus. like, "Ah, oh, Jesus, you know, I'm devastated. Like I wanted, I wanted a good old, you know, romp with Vinnie you Jones. You loved your hooligan movies. You oh, movies I was so it. big into that. But then you were green, like. Green, that one, Green Wing? No, Green. Uh, Wood. Is it Green Street? Yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I just, I'm just a fanboy for Elijah Wood, apparently. But then <laughs> you looked up and you were like, "Oh, I've seen, I see this, I saw this film last week." You know, I'd watch it again. Yeah. I was like, "What's that about?" And fuck me, what a, what a yeah, film! Kind of, it was a game changer, wasn't it? Especially since we were like what twelve or so, we were kind of at that perfect age. Yeah. To just become the next phenomenon. Oh my god! Because I, I remember going to see it, and um, like all of us, like you and all the rest of our friends, we became obsessed. We all started reading the books and everything. Yeah. They go a little. It was like, but I don't. I can't remember a bigger kind of pop culture sensation happened when we were children. You know, it was like a lot of people remember Star Wars from the seventies and eighties when they were kids or whatever. But like that was our one, I think. I, I can remember anything better. I think absolutely that was our one. switching off in school about two weeks before Lord of the Rings came out of Christmas. I just didn't care anymore. I was just so obsessed with uh, the two towers. I was just like, I cannot wait for this. And you were seeing little yeah. clips of like, oh my god, did you see what the fuck Helm's Deep looks like in the, yeah. in the trailer? I just fucking lost myself in that film. Like it was amazing. Yeah, I I, I agree. It was that year between because that was so that was what's so cool about them is like for the next two Christmases like they were like bona fide events where like waiting for the Lord of the Rings release. But I particularly remember the same. I remember Two Towers because I I must have watched Fellowship about twenty times in that one year in that one year between um, the second one coming out because I was so excited for it. 
yeah, and it was it was amazing, absolutely amazing. At Helm's Deep and um, Gandalf arriving in the West and all that. Whatever. I'm hoping no Tolkien fans are listening now. I can't quote it. I can't fucking quote it anymore. Um, when we were talking about films, there you said that you had a, a bit of an issue with nostalgia. What do you mean? Um, it's not even just films. Um, I, okay, for example, I don't. I don't have so much an issue with things like I. I do think we are in the height of nostalgia, being what motivates a lot of um, films that are made, and so you get something like Stranger Things, which is fine. Stranger Things is like um, this love letter to. The, the Duffer Brothers is fucking childhood and the pop culture they love. Not not even just the air they were born, but like all the stuff they loved is in there. There's like a bit of Ghostbusters. There's a bit of Stephen King or whatever. I don't mind using things like that, using um, what you love and turn something new. But I do think there's a lot of, let's not green light this movie because it's original. Let's do another Spider-Man. We know people love Spider-Man. That's... Uh, no, it doesn't really happen anymore, but, like, Transformers stayed, stayed around for, like, way longer than it ought to have, you know, stuff like that. And I think it's the same with games. There's a lot of, kind of, uh, let's um, re-release or repackage people's nostalgia back to them. And, and sometimes it can be, sometimes it can be cool, but sometimes, a lot of time it's like, make something new, please. How has that happened in gaming recently? Because, like, I, like, I used to be obsessed with games up until maybe... 16 17 and then i i kind of fell out of that world but like you're a, a you've had a lifelong love of gaming like haven't you no it's kind of like a, a comfortable blanket i've always had to be honest i just i just love them and i i do i'm not so cynical i'm not like oh the when we were kids they were better i actually have not even close to that opinion it's just that these days there is a lot of um remakes and a lot of re-releases which is cool Especially since games, like, you know, it's games are so hard, like, it's so hard to find. And, like, if someone wants to play an old game, it's kind of so hard to find it unless someone remakes it and, and sells it again. My problem is, like, selling it again for 60 bucks. It's like, this is the same game. Why am I buying this instead of, like, a new game or something like that? And there has been cool remakes. Like, there was a cool Resident Evil 2 remake. There was a cool, like, Final Fantasy 7 remake. As much as I prefer something new, I suppose if the quality stays, that's solid. That's fine, but you can't help see the kind of cynical side of it. I, I find just kind of you know, oh, that's this is this is this is this has to sell. People had yeah. it when they were children. It's too transparently like a business decision yeah. rather than like oh, viewing gaming as an art form and uh, an expression of yeah, creativity. Yeah. It's just like let's just repackage the same old stuff and fucking make our money. And I'm not even talking about the whole industry. It's just, it's just a very prominent aspect of the industry because I actually think there's a lot of cool stuff happening in games at the moment kind of if you look between the cracks because it's kind of a kind of a soulless industry it's like hollywood to soulless you know it's a soulless big corporations but we're getting a lot of good games a lot of good movies until 2020 killed hollywood at least but um we're getting a lot of good games and stuff um but you brought up nostalgia and i think when i hear it these days it immediately triggers cynicism with me i don't know why i just don't i don't think it's a great thing yeah. I think it's lovely uh, lovely for you to curl up and read the Harry Potter books again. Like, oh my God, or maybe read a bit of David Gamble, Kev, you know, some, some oh. fantasy novels that you read. When... <laughs> oh, now you're talking, boy. I have no problem with people revisiting stuff from the past, that's, that's it. but it's, it's, it's corporations using it against them and kind of selling it back to them. Yeah, and like kind of yeah. spoon-feeding you down this path where it's like, we know this path is familiar and comfortable to you. We're not even going to yeah. let you choose this out of your own accord. It's just 
get down here yeah. and give us the money. Man, you mentioned David yeah. Gemmel. Me and you <laughs> discovered him the exact same day. So David Gemmel yeah. is a, a Scottish heroic fantasy writer. And did we join or rejoin the Limerick Dward Oil Library the same day? Like we hadn't been to the library in fucking God knows how long. Yeah, we told our gang that we couldn't be part of that anymore. We were joined the library <laughs> in Limerick. Right? We, we were taking a different path. We handed in our letter no, jackets. I, I honestly do think like we went in, we like got our little library cards and went over to the fantasy section. Like, oh my God. Uh, to go back to it, I think it all circles back. I think it was post Lord of the Rings. I think we were looking for anything to scratch that itch. Yes. Yeah, it would have been around that age, mm. 14, 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, oh my God, David Gemmel, I just got obsessed with him. I read nearly everything he wrote within the space of like 12 or 14 yeah. months. And now like when you read Me too, and I think you read more. Like it, it does get a bit repetitive where you're like, how, how many different ways can he describe a fight scene? But Jesus Christ, there were some gems in it. Like that Rigan series. I fucking love that. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I was about to say he had his um series he, within his kind of his... Uh, his uh overall he's his, his books so there was he had like 20 something books but there was like they're categorized categorized in a different series and like the rigant one is the i think that's a weeping us anyway that was one that was largely based on scottish history wasn't it yeah that was the one that got us into it i think it's still my favorite i'd love to go back and read them yeah you read ravenheart first and right, fuck man ravenheart then Jesus. we realized yeah, that's what it was called. then we realized that there was two books before that so there was sword yeah. and storm there was midnight falcon Ravenheart oh, is spectacular. He, Ravenheart's probably my favorite, like, whatever fiction book or whatever. It, I loved it. Like, I thought it was spectacular as a book. Like, and then Stormrider yeah, it was, actually, it was okay. It was good. Yeah, it was just it was okay. Yeah. Such a great, a great yeah. fucking quartet. Like, and they like it, he's a, he was a fantasy writer, but those ones had the least fantasy in them. But they were almost like they were make the uppy worlds, but it was almost historical, wasn't it? Yes, it yeah, was like yeah. uh, they they for two of them they kind of focused on scotland and the roman empire within their world so there was different names was right, there was yeah. a little bit of magic but then in ravenheart and uh storm rider the the rigan people who were supposed to be like the scottish people were nearly like a conquered race and the varlish were the english and so they were yeah. looking back on what happened in sword and the storm as nearly like legend it was it was yeah really yeah, yeah it was hundreds of years ago yeah yeah, yeah. Con- Conovar the Great or some of that, wasn't it? Conovar. Um, Conovar the... There was Kaelin Ring or Kylan Ring. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's fucking... I remember, I remember the third book was about the kind of Scottish kid. He kind of befriended one from the fake English. And then the fourth book was about that other kid. And that, that's probably why we didn't like it so much, kid, was it? It's like, well, oh, let's go back to the, the scrappy Scottish lads. Exactly. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I barely you, remember. I do remember three books, and then you're like, oh, Jesus, now no, I have to root for this fella. Like, I have to see things from his perspective. I don't like that as a 14 or 15 year old. But it was so crazy reading those books because I actually think they're like, that's 14, 15 is a perfect age to read stuff like that, kind of heroic fantasy stuff, you know, adventure and war and stuff like that. But they were so violent and adulty. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I some of the like, scenes uh, you were like yeah, yeah, you'd be blushing in the living room got a bald guy with a battle axe in the cover we're just like mm, you'll never know <laughs> <laughs> they were class though. he died young that author I can that's one of those deaths yeah. where I remember I remember where I was uh, when James Gandolfini died I was in Hearst Castle randomly <laughs> enough uh, I was in Mark's house when I heard about David Gemmel, 
Mm. Um, I don't know. I think I might have been in oxygen when Michael Jackson died, but it sounded like a rumor for a couple of days. I don't really know. I have a weird memory of when Michael Jackson died. Do you know? Do you remember my house used to be, my front room used to be the epicenter of hanging out. There used to be like four or five of us max. One time, for whatever reason, there was like sixteen people in that room, and you know what? Like any any people hanging out in my house were confined to that room. You know, we weren't given free reign of the house. I always I used to imagine like the rest of the house you're nudists, so we just can't. <laughs> you you go in, you take off everything. Yeah, it takes so long to get a yeah, drink. Yeah. Like. Yes, I remember. That that's not an off the cuff little thing you said. You used to fucking joke about that all the time, <laughs> laughing, laughing at me. But uh. <laughs> It's because you came in one no, time with no pants and no socks. I was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, the rule. <laughs> but uh, no, I just sorry, just as you said, I just remembered there was a shit ton of people in my front room when we're watching Michael Jackson dead on the news. It just happened. I just, I just remember that. And maybe you weren't there, Kev. Maybe you're off somewhere way cooler. I don't know. It's it's one of those ones now that I'm thinking like that's just what I remember here in an auction. It mightn't even have been true. You know, when just somebody tells you and you've no phone, you're just like, ah, maybe it is true. But the yeah, right. Gemmel stuck out. Gandolfini stuck out. Well, Gemmel was in his 40s. Like, he had so many books ahead of him. Yeah. That was annoys me. There was a, an anime director called Satoshi Kon who did like a, a lot of fucking excellent films that I used to watch when I was a teenager. He did like, uh, if you've heard of Perfect Blue or Millennium Actress or anything like that. Yeah. Like, even if you're not a massive anime nerd i he's one of the guys i kind of hold up and go just watch him he's brilliant it's brilliant filmmaking and just in general but he died when he was like he got died of cancer when he was in his 40s and it was i remember similar to what you said there i remember reading about it online and just thinking oh like tragedy i feel so sorry for his family but you know for me personally i was just like no way that he's just way too young i just know there's so many movies we've been deprived of because of that and same with david gamble he could have been writing books for years after that yeah Years and years, you know, especially since we read them so quickly over one summer, we needed oh, more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like coming off heroin. I was like, I need my heroic yeah. fantasy fix. Like, I need, I need to read about a fella's head being chopped off in very, very great detail. It's weird as well when, like, you have these people in your life where they have no idea of your life, but you have such a deep involvement in their world. And when they go, it's like this one-way relationship where you're like, oh my god, they still had so much to give. Like, uh, like, let's say after watching a character like Tony Soprano in 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 mm. that show, you I, I, I didn't even really think too much about James Gandolfini, but like you've such a built up picture of yeah. Tony Soprano and it just feels like such a weird loss, even though that wasn't the person who died. Yeah, but he kind of he gave you that person, though. Mm. He was the reason why you love that person so much. And with him, especially, you know. It's one of the most amazing performances ever. It was one of the most amazing performances in one of the best shows ever made. So it was just a massive tragedy when he died. It was just like, yeah, I, I agree with you what you were saying there. It, it, you do kind of feel, yeah, you have no connection to him, but he was so important to you. Yeah. But I get that all the time. I try to separate the kind of, you know, celebrity worship with just loving people's art, you know, what they do, like directors and filmmakers and writers and stuff like that. I remember when, do you ever read, go back to... This whole thing was just about the fantasy novels we read when we were kids. But the one that re- the one that really hit me was uh, Terry Pratchett, who he wrote Discworld, and he he was suffering for dementia like for a long time before that, but he was still managing to write books. But he his books are just so wonderful. They're just so so clever and so funny, so sweet. And I just when he died, I was just like, oh, that re- I felt it in my gut. It's probably the same way you were talking about Gandalfina. There was just like, oh, that one, yeah, that one hurts, you know. 
It's I don't know. David Bowie as well. Sorry. Oh man. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that one, I yeah, no, that that is one that was one that actually fucked up me, like because I remember that day so clearly, like um, I had to be in work for whatever time, but I I was I was in the gym before it, and I was just leaving. You know, you're in the reception and you're just coming through, and like there might be a TV on, and you've like headphones yeah. in, so you're kind of half paying attention. But I saw yeah, Bowie on gyms. the screen. <laughs> I've curled. <laughs> Um, I saw a boy's face in the screen and I was like, oh, what's, you know, what's going on? Like, is it another album or whatever? And I kind of just stopped for a second. You just saw like David Bowie's yeah, yeah. dead. And it just, I was just like, what? And I remember I went into work and I said it to like one or two people and they were like, why would I care? Like, I was like, oh my God. I was like, I can't believe the, f- you know, he didn't impact other people. Like, like I felt it. Do you know what I mean? Cause like yeah. Bowie was somebody for me that. Um, when I was like maybe 14 or 13, one of the lads in school gave me, gave me like a boy CD. And I just thought, wow, this is just, it, it was when I probably first started to appreciate what music was. Yeah, absolutely. He was one of my first around that age as well. He died on my birthday. That's a little nice fact for this, this chat. 11th of January. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Cause uh, my friend, you know, that birthday sent me sent me he, he came for a night out and gave me a card he made and anytime anyone gives you a card for your birthday it's the most lovely thing but it had a little poem and obviously i can't quote it but it was a poem suggesting that i siphoned the energy from david boy to live another year that's how i remember he either died in the 11th or the 12th so it's definitely around then yeah that's my yeah i think that year there was like a, a boy fest in dublin and i i think it was going to be uh, done anyway in February. I don't think they put it together just because of the death of boy. It was just going to be like this annual tribute. But I remember I went to like the last gig of it, and I think the original cool. guitarist from from his band came in and played like two or three, two or three songs. And there was like class. All these artists would go up and they'd talk about like before they played a song, they'd be like, "This is my favorite boy song because," and then they'd tell you about like a time in their life where this helped them, and they'd play the song. And there was just such a everybody was kind of there for the same. Joe, it wasn't like fifty percent of people were really into boy, and fifty percent of people were just brought there. It was like a real, nearly communal like morning of boy. Like it was beautiful. And for and for once, you weren't. At a concert, you know, separating the crowd into statistics and, <laughs> and ratios. <laughs> you were just you were just there for the music. <laughs> Finally, my love of pie charts <laughs> and segregating people. <laughs> yeah, that does sound class, though. That's, that's amazing. There's another guy recently, though. Um, I don't know if you were if you cared that much, but I was very surprised. Surprised, like, oh, very surprised. Though. I was very shocked by Chadwick Boseman's death. Is he the guy who the was black- in Black Panther? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, yeah, yeah, that one. I, I, that one, like, I, I never saw Black Panther. Panther yeah, yeah. His, when I heard about it, it was... I, I saw, like, the big, like, outcry, but I've never seen any of his work, so it literally didn't impact me at all. Like, like was he, yeah. what was he to you? He was more, it was, he, he was, like, he was in his 40s, but he, like, the Black Panther and the Marvel thing was just, like, his big break. It's just you, could, you just got the feeling he was right at the beginning of his like Ada's career, and he was he was gonna like he's gonna make things for years. But uh, the only thing that was so surprising about it is like no one knew. Like basically during all those Marvel movies, he was like suffering from cancer and going through chemo. And he kept his secret. Oh, wow. He put on all that he put on all that bulk in secret, 
I immediately thought, I was like, Disney must have known. Disney knows all. But uh, apparently they didn't. Apparently he kept it completely secret. And he, wow. and he was just like, yeah, I'm not going to, like, I have this big break. I have this opportunity. He got his actually first big break in a movie playing James Brown, actually. Called Get On Up. Is he good in it? Yeah, he is, yeah. I wouldn't be the biggest James Brown fan now. I'm not going to be, like, picking over his performance with a fine tooth comb. You know, but he'd, like, <laughs> he, he, sings that, he sings that one song anyway. That, no, <laughs> no, he was good in it, yeah. Yeah, I like I'm a bit of a Marvel fan, so he, like it was just weird that Black Panther died. But also, I, it was that kind of thing where it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Celebrities, celebrities, they they do be dying. Um, this year, have there like have you been watching a lot of old movies, or like what have you been doing in terms mm. of like free time? Yeah, um, watching old movies. Um, as a group since we've been living here has actually been a really fun thing kind of like maybe over the weekend just kind of having some drinks and watching like three movies in a row oh wow yeah like during Halloween we watched a lot of horror I wanted to kind of like see some horror I hadn't seen but also kind of show uh, Fiona and her sister who I live with um, just horror films but like yeah uh, I've been more playing games to be honest as my kind of like downtime uh, and trying to watch new things as well which I think I'll, I'll just find like if you're kind of in a rut or you're not feeling the best or you're in the middle of a global pandemic um it can sometimes be sometimes be better to experience something new than watch something that's comforting that's sort of comfortable yeah what do you know what i feel like when you watch a new movie like if you're like a big movie buff and you watch a new movie you haven't seen before and it's fucking amazing you get like get like oh you must get a high off it like you know uh, what i mean so i've been trying to track down movies i haven't seen as well you know um I, I'm kind of like getting big into documentaries these days. I'm like yeah, over yeah, the weekend. Yeah. Like, uh, have you ever heard of ESPN's Thirty for Thirty, where like they kind of focus on like sports documentaries? No. Um, I watched one about. Uh, remember, like uh, professional wrestling, the mm-hmm. Nature Boy Ric Flair. There's a there's a documentary Flair, called yeah. The Nature Boy, and I was blown away, man. It was spectacular. Just such a a crazy account of a life like like he was solidly drunk for like 20 years <laughs> on the road working every day and just became this character like this insane larger than life character this womanizer had like two families that he didn't see oh it was just insane and like it's really cool to kind of see how professional wrestlers view everything they do as real like if they when people ask them like is it real they'll say well it's choreographed but like it's fucking real, and like after Absolutely. watching the documentary, get bed out oh here, like, my god, man, it's brutal. Mm. Like, like so many of them are just addicted to pain pills because while while it is, it's not a real fight. Like basically, there is some sort of choreography, and you you basically know for the bigger fights who is going to win. But fuck me, they take an amount of punishment. Mm. Like it's crazy. And when you when you say like it's real to them in, in such a large extent, do you mean like also like because they have they're this character, they're this persona. Is that almost as real to them as well? You know, and like you know they're in the public eye, or were you just literally talking about them being tossed around the ring and all the all the fucking preparation and training you have to do? I was talking about the wrestling, but from watching the Nature Boy and seeing how much Ric Flair was that guy, like. I, I see it from a different perspective now. It's nearly like yeah. uh, it's nearly like athletic acting. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, there's a like, very, yeah, very yeah, big performative um, performative piece to wrestling. And what I thought was really cool as well, because like 
for me, like my era of wrestling would have been more Stone Cold Steve Austin, The yeah. Rock. I never really saw Ric Flair, Kane, Kane, The Undertaker. Um, but like with somebody like um, Ric Flair, what I was amazed with was they had Hulk Hogan on the documentary, and he was so unbelievably humble about the brilliance of Flair. Like he was like, um, he was like I like for me, I was a very very. Like, basically, you could have four different types of fights with Hogan and he'd be able to do them in 10 or 15 minutes, whereas Flair was so versatile and Flair would be the bad guy who, who would make the other person look great. So people loved him. Yeah. He, he's regarded he as like the villain. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was fascinating. And I, what I, I, Like, just kind of going back to what you said about maybe watching something new. Like, I haven't I haven't thought about wrestling in so long, but I just heard off one or two people, geez, this is a, this is a serious documentary. And I love just going in with just nearly a completely, like, fresh eyes thing where you're like, I don't know what this That's is going to be about, yeah. but oh my God, it blew me away. Like, yes, I've, I've never been into wrestling all that much, but, like, my brother was when I was a kid. I have a lot of, I have a lot of memories of my early childhood with a lot of wrestling. I used to have toys. I used to have, like, uh, the Ultimate Warrior and uh, do you remember those lads? <laughs> do you remember that guy? And uh, uh, but I I did have periods, you know, when I was a kind of uh, shitty ass teenager. I, I was kind of shitty ass towards wrestling. But now these days, I've like I've much higher opinions of it. Outside of the, outside of how how much it takes to actually be one and do it, I think it's like we need stuff that's so ridiculous and fun, you know, because it yeah. is really goofy when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes down to it. The whole thing is goofy. It's oh, it's it like. Like, like you said, it's like a fighting play. All the plot lines are about fighting each other. And that's cool to me. Now, now that I'm 31, I'm like, yeah, that sounds fun. It took, took me a long time to get there, but I'm actually, thinking, I'm actually open to the idea of it much it, more than I used to be. It's very easy to be dismissive of it because... Yeah, yeah, you, I was when I was younger, like it, absolutely. If you don't like it as an outsider, you're like, oh, this is just... Like, I know it's fake, so why why is anybody... Like, the, the suspension of disbelief just isn't there for me, you know what I mean? But like when you see hmm. the crowds that wrestling used to draw, like live crowds, it was fucking insane. Like you'd have more people watching it than like a big football match in Europe. Like you absolutely fucking wouldn't. You never meet more passionate fans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and also, wrestling has a lot of young fans as well. Like, I think there's a reason why like all the top Make a Wish kind of people, celebrities, who show up are always wrestlers. Those like John Cena and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Children, children fucking love it. It's great. And I know I shouldn't like I, I was always, I was always into like games and like anime. I, I never really had a the, the kind of pedestal to be like, well, I don't like wrestling. That's where I draw the line. You know, I was always into nerdy shit, but I actually get it now. Now I didn't expect to be talking about it tonight, but I I, I completely get it. I've actually, it's been on my mind recently enough. But it's weird though as well because like uh, like with wrestling, like there were certain characters that I remember back in the day, and like at that time I knew it wasn't like in air quotes real do you know what I, I knew that it was pre-scripted but like there was a fella um what was his name kurt angle and in wrestling mm. do you know they, they put him as like this olympic gold medalist and i was like yeah, yeah. Do you know i just didn't look into it but now like now that i've i've an interest in like uh like mma and the ufc i was looking back at like he was an olympic gold medalist at wrestling which is like such a such a small amount of people in the world get to that pinnacle of such a relentlessly hard sport it just makes me see it yeah. in like such a new way where i'm like fucking hell man that just takes ridiculous think, dedication yeah 100 percent. do you think he was like but if you make that a part of my character people will think it's made up 
Can't no, no. Like, see, that's the thing. Like everybody, everybody in America obviously realized that Kurt Angle was an Olympic gold medalist. But I was just watching yeah. at home, and I was like, "All oh, right, he's pretending to be an Olympian." I was like, mm, "Well, you're like the, under, the Undertaker's not really a ghoul or whatever." So Kurt Angle's probably not. He a never works Sundays, Liam. Sam, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's it. That's the empirical evidence I needed. <laughs> you know, my uh, my granddad was an Undertaker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not not wrestling, like, but uh, actually, like, he, he was one of those guys. Like, he lived in a small village, and he had like a multitude of jobs. He was a shopkeeper. He was uh, a cooper, like a barrel maker. He was yeah, an yeah. auctioneer. He was an undertaker. He had some sort of a, a turf cutting business, all sorts, and of course, the organized cool. crime. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Just... Oh yeah, yeah. He was the only member of that organized crime in that in that one village. <laughs> God damn it. He put as much passion into it as he did the Undertaking. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, have there been any like directors in the last couple of years that have have really impressed you? Like, are there any like directors that you're a fan of that like their body of work speaks to you? Are you talking about like you know new directors or just any any old directors? Like, um, in general, I suppose. Like, who? <laughs> Who who do you enjoy watching? There's been a slew of amazing over the last like four years, five years. There's been a slew of amazing horror directors. I think we're actually in a new, um, really good age for horror. I think you know horror has always been a good laugh, but it kind of uh, it got kind of you know popcorning and fun there in the 2000s. I think we're back in a really good age of it now. But there's a ton of directors who just came out the gate in their first film, like Ari Aster. He did um, Hereditary. Do you see Hereditary? No. What's that about? Yeah, it's absolutely. It's um, you know, Tony Collette. Uh, she's the mother in Sixth Sense, Australian. Yeah, it's. A, I you know I don't I don't even want to tell you directly what it's about because I, you should watch it sometime and like you best not be spoiled. But it's kind of very seventies style horror film and it's like really fucking creepy, and it's it's kind of about um one family, and they're kind of the mental health problems that are in, you know, their genes, but also fucking straight up spooky spook horror and there's a creepy daughter and that's literally all i'm gonna say okay. but it's just weird because there's there's a few of those as well because there's a guy uh eggers robert eggers who did like the witch and then he did the lighthouse have you seen any of those just oh no, man fuck no honestly Kevin, like if you want to get like back into films like get back into horror like it's not a, a lot all the new ones a lot of new ones that came out are spectacular and these are like first time if you're watching it and be like first time director what is this? You're supposed to be like really bad for like 10 years. What are you talking about, man? Is that a genre that um, you really enjoy like above others? I'm not like the biggest horror fan in the world. I actually think I'm much more like, I think I, I actually think I like more nice. Like I'm big into like Studio Ghibli anime, like Spirited Away. Like really, I, I think I like really nice things much more. Yet I do find myself like watching shit on horror, especially when it's good. You know, I, I like either really, I like either really bad fun horror or like, um, generally like good psychological horror but i find the middle ground in between is where most horror films are kind of hanging out there's like in terms of like scary unsettling movies there's one that just sticks with me completely the science of the lambs i think struck something in whatever 1991 that is just still like i I rewatched it again in the last month or two and it's just Mm -hmm. so there's a realism wonder... to Science of the Lambs, and there's a creepiness, yeah. there's an unsettling, realistic creepiness in a lot of scenes. Like even, do you know where they're, I... they're exploring the body? And um, yeah, 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 the, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. autopsy the where they're taking the, the photos, and the sound of the camera, 
it's just those kind of things that they stick with you it's just very very unsettling and i wonder when you think about silence of lambs would you be thinking of like you know hannibal like which is it's most famous for but like or buffalo bill which is kind of the best part of the film i often think i often think of the buffalo bill parts more like i think it, it takes up way more of the movie as well yeah you know, he's, like, he's kind of didn't didn't hopkins win uh the best actor but he was only on screen yeah. for something like eight minutes or something yeah. minuscule yeah, um, like yeah buffalo bill is fucking terrifying <laughs> like that last scene where you think that she's just going to some random house and that they're going to get him and then as soon as well, he she opens thinks the door, yeah, yeah oh yeah sorry yeah yeah it cuts yeah, it's yeah, just it's really well yeah. like edited so that it, you you're you're suspenseful until you realize oh my god she's face to face with him and she's not positive yet and you're like, get out, Clarice. Oh, my God. That whole scene with the night vision. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, I, I, don't know if it's, I don't know if it's something about getting older, but I was watching uh, The Exorcist over Halloween, and The Exorcist actually really scares me. It, it's, it's weird. It didn't used to. When I first watched it when I was, like, I don't know, a teenager, it didn't at all. And then something changed as I got older, and it just started frightening me, like, a lot. I think it, like, it scares me more than most movies. But I was re-watching it uh, here in the house over Halloween with a few drinks. And I, yeah, like I said, I don't know if it's about getting older, but the, the thing I really latched onto was like, like the character stuff in it. Like I was, for the first time, I was like, oh my god, this is so horrible for the mother. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Life. It wasn't really the it wasn't really the the whole possession thing that got me this time. It was like the mother's performance was so kind of realistic. I was actually just like, look at this poor fucking woman going through all this thing. I should watch more old horror movies again because you know when you watch films when you're young, and then you leave and go. I've seen that. I'll scratch it off the list. I just need to revisit some more movies I watched when I was young to see if I can kind of get more dimensions of them, you know? When's the last time you watched uh, The Omen? I thought The Omen was... Years, Kev. And like, some years. of the killings in it are just like, you're like, Jesus Christ. That is a freaky film. I, the only one I remember is like, Damien, I'm doing it for you, Damien. And then <laughs> she jumps out the window, right? So I probably reduced it. Um, <laughs> what else was I thinking of there? Oh, like for me, horror films, like some people find this ridiculous, like, but I've always had this crazy fear or phobia of zombies. Like zombies are the thing for me that just, it's that irrational fear. I think it goes back to like, I think I was in my grandparents' house when I was like four or five and there was a video of, you know, Michael Jackson's thriller, like the extended version. I was scared of that too. I was scared of that too. Oh my God. (laughs) I put it on by myself and I watched it through and I was like, right now I have a, a lifelong crippling fear of the undead. Which isn't a bad thing. I think, but I—I I was about to say I think kids like being scared, Kev. I think that's—I think that's a secret. I think you become massive fans of the things that you're afraid of when you're a kid. Like he, I was a huge fan. I was huge, terror, terrified of zombies as well. I, do you remember um, Resident Evil One for the PS One? Do you remember playing that in my old house <laughs> on the month? I was about to bring it up. The month came up because because Resident Evil came out in like 1996, but like it was a, you know set in the future when it came out but it was like yeah the game was set in july 1998 and we were there like little kids we, we looked at each other we <laughs> were just up. like what the july fuck? 1998 oh that God. game is so silly now the voice acting is so funny wait don't so open bad. that door yeah it's still a solid ass game but like everything is just really funny about it but i like, cannot even begin to describe how much it terrified me when i was when i first played it I, actually not, not even when i first played it i i watched my older brother play it i was so frightened of it that I wouldn't play Sonic the Hedgehog on the Sega Mega Drive because it was beside the PlayStation 1 that had Resident Evil disc inside it. Oh, I was afraid God. of the disc. The, the, but that kind of, after like 
after we played that game, like we, me and you, and like uh, Mortal Lads, we got big into like Romero when we were quite young. We used to watch like Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think, guys were so frightened of it. Like you end up becoming fans. Like I was terrified of the alien movies when I was a kid as well. I just ended up becoming massive fans of them as I got older. You just kind of like. I was going to say Night of the Living Dead for me is so terrifying. Like that whole the premise of that film just being mm. being trapped in a random house in the country and the undead are slowly making their way yeah. towards you. And they're weird, smart zombies in that. Yeah, where they before can basically it was use rudimentary tools eventually. Yeah, they, they can use tools. Fire, yeah. Is, fire is a little bit scary. And there's it was before it got they, solidified. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there, the was was got, I think it was Dawn of like, the Dead. I think yes. it was Dawn of the Dead, the second one, that really kind of, was the, even though they were just kind of blue-skinned, it was kind of the first one where you kind of all the rules were set with the, you know, they lumbering idiots and they eat your flesh yada yada but yeah that first one they could pick up trowels and stuff yeah yeah um, and the budget of that was ridiculously low for the time i can't i can't give an exact figure but for the movie that yeah, they nothing. turned out it was just spectacular like yeah the second one uh, uh, dead. like that was all based <laughs> in the shopping center wasn't it shopping, we, yeah, we'd, be talking, center, yeah. we'd be talking about that we were like what 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 happened no zombie Zombie invasion. Oh, constantly. Would you, would you go that to the was present? like, would you go to the present? <laughs> well, man, I fucking I worked in there for a while, like so. Do you know, I kind of know where. To, you don't know shit about the present, man. What do you, will you fuck off? What do you do? Let's go. I think everyone has had the "What would you do if zombies happened?" Like it's the ultimate work conversation. You're just standing around and working. So zombies it is, happen right like, now. Where Where would you go? Like, oh shit, yeah. yeah. I uh, there was a period where I'd be constantly reassessing what like what if it broke out now what would i do if it broke out now mm. what would i do and like you'd probably just freak out sprain your ankle and just be like Fuck oh I'd be, I'd be the worst no 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 i'd this is, might be really dark but i'd be killed by trusting i wouldn't be killed by the zombies themselves just by the the evil of man gev <laughs> i trust some I, I trust some group and they'd kill me and take my I don't know, whatever I have on me, my yo-yos, I don't know, my pogs. <laughs> I don't know what I'd have on me in a, in a zombie apocalypse. You used but, you to know, play pogs? I used to collect them. I used to not enjoy playing them. Um, I remember just having a big shoebox of them. And actually, like, one time, <laughs> yeah. I, like, I unbeknowingly, or un- whatever you say that word, I accidentally, like, split my brother open because we used to sleep in the same room. We were having a pillow fight, and I didn't realize that there was a gold slammer whammer in the corner of the pillow Fuck. and i absolutely like choom, right beside his eye lamped him with it huh lamped him with it yeah yeah but it's so weird because you're like i just hit you with a pillow and i split you open like what a pussy i just couldn't do understand you think it. Do, do you think you would have been okay if it wasn't a gold slammer whammer they were more powerful therefore they're more ah, gold yeah. therefore more powerful yeah yeah no no <laughs> like if you got hit with a shitty plastic um slammer whammer it wouldn't have done anything but, like we're going right back to the mid-90s here now, but if I remember, you were supposed to pile up pogs on top of each other and then slam a slammer whammer, as they're called, down on them. And any of them, that f- and they all flipped up and went all over the place. And any of them that were facing right up, you got to keep it. Yeah, like they put a That's lot how- of effort into making the pogs look attractive, but the game was so basic. Also, I see it was the same with like um, Pokemon cards a few years later, although I don't know, actually... It's not the same at all, actually. No, but I, I like collecting them, so I would never play a game where I could lose them. That, that was That's why I didn't want to play the game. I was like, no, I'm not going to. Yeah, no, lose, I'm pretty sure I box, never played for absolutely. PC. Like, yeah, like a, yeah I, was just, I was just thinking with the Pokemon cards. Was it the same? Could people take your cards? I can't really remember. I never played... They could, because um... I was being bullied. 
<laughs> I never played uh, the Pokemon like card strategy game, but I remember, at least, I don't know, maybe this is a memory that I created. I think I completed the sticker book. Do you remember the sticker book? Uh, it was huge. Like, I wasn't into like uh, Premier League stickers or anything like that. That used to be popular in school. But then, like, Pokemon came for, what, like, at least six months? That was yeah, I was about right. to say, Pokemon, we, we were right in the middle of, like, Pokemon has always been around, and it's still around, and it's still mad popular, but there was that late 90s, six months, where it was fucking everywhere, and yeah, I remember that as well, I remember, like, even class full of kids, like, we, were, we all had the sticker book for all, like, trades, so I remember that much more than the cards as well, actually. The, the Pokemon yeah. cartoon was, like, <laughs> that. that is one of those cartoons, like, like, <laughs> Simpsons is obviously like I learned to fucking tell time by Simpsons episodes. If we were going somewhere and I was asking my mother, you know, how long will it be? It's like oh, yeah, two yeah, yeah, it's Simpsons. A... I'd be like, right, that's an hour grand. But oh, like yeah. Pokemon, yes, I used to like fantasize about Pokemon all the time. Like just imagine owning a fucking animal and you could do you could you could just go to war with this and try and capture other animals. I always used to just think like I remember I'd be walking along near enough your house and I'd be like what what like why would why would you be allowed own an onyx because you just open yeah. it anywhere and it's just it's just like unbelievable destruction to property it seems like such a, a reckless thing to give <laughs> to a child well i think that's the appeal of that show and the whole franchise is that like its world doesn't make sense but it's like very appealing to a kid that whole idea was like you turn 10 you literally just fuck off you yeah. leave home you go you go on a mad ass you go on the hero's journey you. nearly and you're allowed to make animals fight each other. It's not illegal in Pokemon Land. It's yeah. not illegal. I can remember. <laughs> it, is, it is one of those things that, like, it, it, it falls apart under any scrutiny, but it's just so fun. Yeah, man. I, I rewatched it um, within the last year. I watched like three episodes, and I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go any more further into this because it's like, ah, there's it, there's so many holes in it, and there's so, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> hold up to scrutiny like. Uh, like the Simpsons, I rewatched the Simpsons at the weekend, season four. It's not a Sim- Simpsons, not a kids show, like. No, it's not. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I did, I did as well. I got Disney Plus and I watched like seasons two to like eight or so. Mm. Oh my god, untouchable, untouchable. To it's, this day, like it's it's the pinnacle. It like uh, whenever mm. whenever I'm talking about like uh, like how good is a TV show or how good is anything. It's nearly like the Simpsons for me is basically untouchable, and then it's like there's nearly a battle for everything else, or an argument, or a discussion. But like season, what would you say? Maybe season three to season seven. Yeah, would that be kind of like yeah, to, yeah to, to kind of bring it into some manageable amount. Three to seven, I think you're you're, yeah. you're cooking with gas, Kev. <laughs> I would go to I I I'd go two to eight. Um, are all solid, but I think yeah, if you want to narrow it down, even better. Yeah, could you put on season four or season five, like which I did? Like we, we we'd be cooking here, and we just have the TV on. We have Disney Plus just playing them automatically, and every time a new episode come on, I just like gold. Yeah, like, episode after episode, gold, gold, Those gold. Those episodes, there's no fat. Like, no, everything, everything that's included is relevant and funny, or like it's just it's such. I a wouldn't even say relevant. Show. Simpsons actually just cuts away to another town's member doing something like doing something like adjacent to the plot a lot yeah no that's you know what very I mean? true like, that's very there's, true there's it's about, such a bonkers show a actually for for a child to watch in terms of like trying to think yeah, what's normal. Was, yeah. it's very bonkers it's very very bonkers but it's just like 12 us. minutes of episode i always i always like to point out in terms of simpsons quality is that, that, that when they go to australia there's like as less than two minutes scene when they're in a bar and it cuts around to home or marriage and the kids and 
Marge, you get the, she's trying to order a beer and or a coffee. And your man is like, beer, coffee, <laughs> beer. And it cuts to Homer and he's like, you know, <laughs> can I get one of those beer can, giant beer cans? And he's like, oh, I guess it's beer. I guess it's, I guess it's big. Then you get Knifey Spoonie with um, Baron Lisa. Three bits that have become massively iconic in just one scene that's just randomly put into the episode out of nowhere. Like it doesn't further the plot. It's just like, hey, let's do funny Australian things. And it's like less than two minutes. It's incredible when you look at something like that as well, just how consistently brilliant it was for such a long time. But like you look at others like season series where like the BBC, like the BBC is famous for like nearly cutting things off before they get bad. Like let's say with The Office, two yeah. seasons, Faulty Towers, three seasons yeah. was... Uh, Faulty Towers was two, man. Faulty Towers was two, was it? Two, 12 episodes, I think, yeah. Fucking but they were like four years apart. Like, was it like obviously we, we don't we don't remember we weren't we weren't there, were we? But uh, I think it went off the air for like four years, and then it came back for a second season. Oh, wow. Something like that. Um, do you remember? Uh, I like you were into Monty Python's Flying Circus, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. More the movies than the show, but I have seen a lot of the show. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I kind of grew I grew up with the movies much more. Um, which is your favorite? Uh, Brian, Brian's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. I have a real soft spot for the Holy Grail, but uh, like, there does seem to be a consensus that Life of Brian is the better film. I'm like, not going to fight about it because I love them both. I think, yeah, I, I think... He's not the best Grail is a, he's a very naughty boy. <laughs> I think Grail kind of does that Monty Python like randomness better. That they didn't even, like, Brian tries to have a story. They didn't give a shit making Holy Grail. It just jumps from thing to thing. Character like characters like die off screen. It ends with them all getting arrested by modern day policemen. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't care. And there's like a murder investigation going on. You know where they just go no, no, no. the director. It is, it is set up. I'll admit that. Like the ending is set up like halfway through the movie. The police are following them through the movie the whole way. But it's like it's still kind of like this is just a cop out. They're both brilliant. They're both hysterically funny. Um... But yeah. I remember, sorry, just jump back to Pokemon for a second. Sorry. Yeah. I, I actually remember, as a discerning child, I remember stopping watching it because I realized it was one of those kids shows that was going to do the same thing forever. You know, it was like, there was no character progression in it. Even as a kid, I yeah, wanted kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were just doing the same thing over and over again, you know. Yeah. Do, do you know what broke it for me? Like, watch. The... <laughs> Uh, like I like the rules of the game to be set down and boom, this is the world we're living in, right? Hundred and fifty okay, yeah, Pokemon, yeah. perfect, good. I, like I like a, I like a round number. You know what I mean? I like a, uh, like if it was one hundred and seventy two, that would annoy me because I'd like a bit of a, a fixation with like just like nice. It was actually nice. hundred, fifty one. The original, right? That could so infuriate you. That does annoy me a little bit. Are you now. okay? Now that I'm, I'm remembering it correctly, <laughs> but what fucked me over was that eventually. There was just a way, there was like a plethora of new ones that nobody even talked about in the first season or two. And I was just like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. You don't like that. No, well, see, like their games first, you see, they have to release new games with new. And I honestly, you're talking to the right man here because I, I I kept playing Nintendo games and I love Nintendo stuff, stuff, but I actually didn't keep playing Pokemon. So I, I am one of those old men like who was just like, I like the 151. I don't give a shit about all the other yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't entertain any of the new stuff. Like where it's just, I think it's as well because... You 
say that so seriously, like if we're talking about anything else but Pokemon, I won't entertain them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about it though where it's just like, you know, if you see like a new Pokemon, you're like, I don't know them of that. I don't feel included anymore. So I'm just, I'm going to check out. Like I, I can't invest that amount of time into trying to get to new, know the new ones. Like it's just not, it's not so something just that I'm going to in a slight attempt to appease you, I think the the explanation of why there's more is that they go to different countries and regions. I don't think they just pops out of nowhere. All right. The first one is basically set in in Pokemon Japan, but like the latest one is like Pokemon Britain, and there was a Pokemon Hawaii for a while there as well. Okay, no, I wasn't I wasn't aware of that, so maybe I. I was actually just getting get frightened by your rage, so I had to kind of. No, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely to... a bit. More, I'm a bit more <laughs> forgiven now, at least. That all right? Yeah, that makes sense. There's different animals in different parts of the world in real life, so yeah, different Pokemon yeah, makes sense. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a lot of things that I, I prejudge. I was just fucking two weeks later. Now I was like, I'd be like, I'm op- I'm starting a new podcast about Pokemon primarily. <laughs> I've gotten mad into it. <laughs> Found out there's different countries that works as an explanation. Uh, <laughs> this year, has there been anything that you've kind of went down like a new route in terms of interest? Like, what's kind of piqued your interest this oh, year? God, yeah, I, I, I'd love to say like wind sailing. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, awesome travel. I don't. Yeah, no travel. Facebook is very rude about that, actually. But it's just like this time last year you were in Rome. It's like, <laughs> thank you. I can't. There's a there's a pandemic now. Thanks for that, Facebook. How was Rome, man? Yeah, I've but... never been to Rome. Oh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What you like about one it? One of my favorite places I've ever been. I like being somewhere. No, I actually love. You know, this is so 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 simple. But you know, being in somewhere that's has so much history just right there, just so so old. Even just being in the um, the Colosseum. There was like graffiti like from like a poet. Graffiti. Yeah, from like a poet who visited who, who visited the Colosseum when it was already ancient. Just so you're in places so old. There was there was actually what what I never hear about. There's bones. There's bones on display um, in the Colosseum from little raptor like creatures that they used to bring out, send out onto the thing to eat up scraps that are now extinct. It's that old. You know what I mean? That's crazy. It's so weird as well. I'd say when you're in like the cent what was the center of the universe at the time that, and now it's that's not kind of what i'm trying anymore. to say yeah yeah it's really yeah, kind of like humbling yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of a timeline where you're like jesus yeah. christ we think we're the greatest thing to ever happen to mankind but like look at what yeah yeah like like how fleeting it is yeah it's fucking mad man um, although to dial it back to something less less grand I'll always remember we went in the August 2019 and it was so hot. So one of my main <laughs> memories of being in the Coliseum is actually like looking around and being all impressed but also looking for shade a lot. Yeah. Just going, yeah. Oh, look over there. <laughs> look over there. I can stand in that shadow. Where can I Let's where can there. I buy a drink and use the toilet? <laughs> oh man, it was so hot. But uh, amazing. Yeah, I went into the Vatican as well. That's what I was going to say. Like uh, yeah, what's the, is yeah, the Vat- yeah. is the Vatican spectacular to Yeah, it, to it is. The Basilica like, St. Peter's Basilica is the like I haven't I've haven't Travels as much as I want. I've been a good few places in Europe only, but St. Peter's Basilica is the most spectacular structure I've ever been in. It's absolutely amazing. And it's also like scary. You're like, hmm, I really wish like there was never a time when the Catholic Church had this much, <laughs> this much fucking manpower and power to like construct something like this. Is the Basilica the one with the, is it like the creation of David or something on the roof? No, that's uh, Sistine Chapel. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the Chapel? So you, when, when you're when you're doing like the tour in um, 
in the Vatican, you, you, you get led around on this thing that takes about an hour and a half. You're looking at statues and paintings and it's all really cool. But then eventually you, it leads into the Sistine Chapel. And it's amazing. Smaller than I always thought, but it's, it's amazing. Absolutely spectacular. But it gets so oppressive as soon as you go in there because it is still kind of like, it's still like a chapel, you know? So there's this kind, there's a voice constantly telling people in different languages to stop talking and be quiet. And you're kind of, it didn't happen for us, but a lot of people are funneled through it really quickly. It just gets really oppressive and sinister in there. That's, 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 that's what I kind of found about it. Hmm. The Vatican, the Vatican really does have that air of just being kind of sinister and oppressive, obviously, but, uh, you know, like you see those ridiculous guards around the place. Oh, you know they were. They look like something. They look like something from Final Fantasy, but they will fucking murder you. They will, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're all, they're all packing. But um, it's cool. I recommend it. Rome, obviously. We only went there for six days. But the cool thing, cool thing about Rome is that it's there's a lot to see. But it's, it's. Do you ever go to one of those cities where it just it's just hard to get around? Rome is super easy to get around. To like go around, to dart around and get all the stuff done. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's wonderful. We've been kind of on this kind of kick of nostalgia in this conversation, and you mentioned <laughs> one of the greatest, if not the greatest games of all time, Final Fantasy. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah, amazing. I did. I mentioned it in my little um, speech about Rome there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fi- yeah. Yeah, Final Fantasy, yeah. Um, that was definitely one of our um, childhood connections, like. 100%. Me and you, like, yeah. 100%. Like, um, mm. we started. Was was it probably like Final Fantasy Five was the first one, like one the first older one? Did we no? Did we start at like seven and eight and then move back? We did start at seven. We did. We started at seven. Yeah, because actually there were old ones that weren't available in Europe. Um, right. Seven was seven was our first one, and I still remember it becoming like obviously our worlds weren't that big at the time. But can you remember just like even around our school, just feeling that Final Fantasy Seven was kind of like a pop culture sensation that there was just a lot of people playing it I just remember hearing about it a lot you know yeah. I remember going into like um a cl- I think our teacher was sick and I got sent into another class I remember talking to like older kids about it you know are you oh, playing really? Final Fantasy 7 like yeah yeah I just it, it was just the first time I ever got that sense of like like I said my world was tiny back then but it just felt like what year was God, that just, 1997 uh seven or eight man I couldn't tell you seven or eight I wouldn't go further than that spectacular game but, like one like it's I don't know, like, I haven't played video games extensively in a while, but that game just, it hit on something magnificent. Like, the size of the game as well, and the scale of it. That was the thing, like yeah. When like, you're, when you're in Midgar for the first, like, five or six hours, you're like, oh my god, this is it. And then you get out into the, the world map, and you're like, yeah. what the fuck am I playing? I think I, I, I still think all these years later, I still, I still think that's a really neat trick. I think that's a good... If you don't have graphics or... Um, like you have fantastically good writing to tell your story. I think video games can do it in like a lot of really kind of interesting ways like that. I think you, the player being confined to this like city and then surprise you're in like this big lush green map is like a really good, like shorthand kind of um, writing tool to show you the kind of breath of that game. For, uh, to this day, I think it works really well. For somebody who has never played Final Fantasy seven, like how would you describe it to somebody or what, what would you tell them about the game to get them interested? I would say the graphics have aged quite badly, young young person. You need to get over that. I I, I would say, I, I, like oh, I think Final Fantasy in general, those those old ones. I think what's really cool about them is that they're like story is never really the most important thing in the game, but they're completely story driven in the sense that they kind of boot you along from set piece to set piece really quickly, like a really good pace that so you just wouldn't get 
these days. You know, games, uh, they're much more full of themselves. I think it has to take hours. I think my main recommendation for Final Fantasy VII or any of those old Final Fantasies is that like they're, they seem the hundreds of hours long when we were kids, but they're only about 30. And I think if you really? like it with like fantasy, yeah, I say 30, 40 to do the main game. Yeah, it's, I say so. I think if you want a good fantasy, like melodrama, uh, really good characters and like solid games, not too complicated. Like they're as good now as they used to be back in the day. I love um, the materia system in that. And being yeah. able to attach different materials <laughs> and different magics to, yeah, to your weapon. I remember baffled by it when oh, I was a kid. So and I was cool. like, what? All these colours. Yeah, oh, that's the thing. Uh, that, the that was the thing. as well, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. You get beat up enough in a fight and you can do mad strong attacks. Unfortunately. But it's yeah, actually, Kevin, yeah. it's like... <laughs> you used to see me in a few beers. <laughs> oh, <Jesus. laughs> but um, it's like Lord of the Rings, Kev. I do think... It was kind of perfect timing for us. Not only is that there, because there wasn't, we'd never seen a game like that. Something that was so story driven and character driven. Um, and it came out and we were eight or nine again. Uh, it was just perfect timing. Like for our generation, particularly, I think Final Fantasy VII was like our game. Yeah. Same as like, like the likes of Metal Gear Solid and stuff like that. These kind of PS1 and 64 games like Ocarina of Time and Mario 64. For me, they were the, like, they were the formative games. I grew up on like, Sega Mega Drive and stuff like that. But when I really, really started loving video games a lot was the PS1 kind of Nintendo 64 era. I really, really look back at it fondly. Metal Gear Solid, man. What? Like, that was like playing a cool movie. Like, it was so <laughs> Which is what you so needed good. in 1998 or whatever. Kind of these days, you'd be, you'd, be, you'd be more kind of like, hey, game, I'm supposed to be playing a game, not watching a movie. But back then, it was just so fucking spectacular. Oh. And, you look, and you look at it now, and it looks so blocky, but like... It's still a really fucking cool movie. <laughs> and so, a cool video game. That, like. that always confuses me the way, like, um, at the time, I was looking at that and going, whoa. And then, like, it's like crazy. as you move on through life, you look back at it and you're like, how did I think? Is it like a perspective thing? Because you see everything now and you're just like, like, graphics is just nearly the bare essentials of a game. Every game has incredible graphics. Or at least there's Gra- a certain gra- standard. Whereas, like, when you look back at it, it's like, it looks so bizarrely out of date. Yeah. Well, the graphics are, like, good graphics are amazing. There's nothing better than playing, like, a t- uh, top-of-the-range game with the most amazing graphics you've ever seen. And obviously, also, you need good graphics to, like, carry the industry forward and carry technology forward. But too much of the industry has been about making better graphics. Because no matter how good the graphics is, it's going to age. I think what doesn't age in terms of visuals is um, good art style. You can, play, you can play a game with a good art style, 10 years later, it'll still look fine. But the more kind of realistic you try to make a game, uh, it'll inevitably age, I think. I, I do think I, it's whenever games, like, and this might change now that we enter, like, the next generation and better graphics, but I think for all the games we've come to for the last, like, 20 years or so, it's, just, it's the super realistic ones that age really awkwardly, while the really stylistic ones kind of, you know, it's not the most cutting-edge graphics I think are still more playable, if that makes sense, maybe. As somebody who, like, probably fell out of gaming in, like, 2006, 2007, like, how has the industry... When you became a man. <laughs> when I got that pubic hair, I was like, hey, hey, put down that controller. Um, how has the industry kind of changed or developed in that time, like, from your perspective? I think, see, there's, like, you always love the games you grew up with. I think everyone's favorite era is always the ones that they're like a kid for. 
I've tried. I've tried to kind of stand outside that. I think the industry has continued to grow and get better. I think game design has definitely gotten better. I think game design is back then, and certainly before it, in like the the, the 90s, like in early 90s, there was no real rules of how to design a game. You know, it, it was the creators kind of making up as they go along and kind of creating the rule book. But I think now it's such a such an art form. You know, there's there's all the tricks and all the good ways you can learn to make a, a good game. I think the main thing about games these days is that they're just easier, and I don't mean that like in difficulty, but just easier to play in terms of accessibility. They're just better, technically. There's like you, you, you won't really find yourself being frustrated at a pointless bit in the game anymore because you know games aren't really designed that way. In the last maybe decade or so, like what games have really stand up, st- stood out to you as like, this is a game that has has changed the industry or like like landmark games? I think just um, sticking to like recent years, um, Nintendo were kind well, of... Sorry, like what, what types of games are you interested in, first of all? Do you know what I mean? Because that'll kind of like shape your answer. I'm actually interested in... Yeah, that's, 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 that's the cool thing about uh, games in general in the industry. Is it's one of my favorite things that you can be obsessed with video games and someone else can be obsessed with video games and you can like play completely mm. different things. I don't think any other fucking medium really has that to that extent. Where like my main thing is I don't really play uh, online multiplayer all that much. Mm. And that's like one of the biggest things that drives the industry these days, but I'm just not really into it. I'm more of a single player guy. Why is that? Is it just, is it the the hassle of interacting with people? Talk? No, I know, you know yeah. Because I mean? I th- it is effort I compared think... to like just switching it on when you want on, you can just start to Yeah, yeah, it's more like in. curling up with a good book, isn't it? Yeah. Into a single player, you have to kind of do something. I don't know. Uh, I, I, think it's, I, I think it's that I'm not that competitive as a person. I think it's one it's one of the main things. But like I would play games online with my friends, people I know. Not often, but I do do it. It's not like one of my main things. I think it's uh, it's also I like forward progression in a game and that doesn't mean that doesn't necessarily mean getting through a story. It can mean like, you know, becoming better at the game, uh, you know, just developing the, the game itself, learning new abilities with an ending rather than I'm getting better at this this game I'm playing online. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the best. I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the best player at this game I can be. Uh, but that just keeps going and going. And people love that. I completely understand that you would get better at the game than you're a fucking master and you go online and you you're winning matches. But I like kind of the kind of progression that leads to kind of an ending. And it doesn't really have to be a story driven game, but a story can be anything. But I just I like knowing that when I put a certain amount of hours into this game, I'm I'm done with it and I can move on to the next game. So you like closure. I think like you yeah you, i guess yeah you, you yeah, like yeah, an extreme yeah. amount of investment but you also like the fact that like similar to reading a book you're going to get yeah. to the end of that book and then it's like right now i can obsess about something else it, it's not that this is taken yeah. over completely yeah it's, it's a weird it's a diff- weirdly difficult question because it's weird to kind of analyze like why you know i play the games i play but i can also completely see the other side of it um one of the main things about games that kind of is unfortunate is that it's a mad expensive hobby it's fucking crazy expensive. You have to really kind of accept. You go, I'm. I like games. I'm going to spend money on them. But someone who's into like one game that they can play online for ages and ages and enjoy. That's them saving so much money. If you can like really love a thing for that long and get, yeah, they definitely save more money than I do. Who has to kind of like go? Okay, I'll finish this. And I'm going to play something else. <laughs> you know. What but is it I, I game do... now? Is it like eighty quid a pop or what? I think it's. I think for the next gen, I think it's seventy. 
I don't know. Actually, PS5 like just came out yesterday. Kevin. It's just like like brand new. So I'm not, I'm not actually sure what the. I haven't gotten it. I haven't gotten it yet. Sometime next year. It is like 60 is kind of been the normal for a while mm. for like a brand new for a brand new game. But um, it's kind of like what I said about movies earlier on as well. We're like you know during the pandemic, it's like nice to like watch something you haven't seen before. I don't like games taking up too much of my time because I because I want to kind of experience as much games as possible but i also think a lot of them in their design can be a little bit kind of nasty in terms of the like the, the reasons why you're playing and there's a ton of, there's a ton of good reasons to keep playing a game for ages because you enjoy it because you're getting better at it because your friends play it because you're an online community and you're playing it and playing it but there's also bits in your brain that are poked you know this is this number has gone up i'm enjoying this i mean and you can just yeah. become sort of addicted the same to that, the to same that, to... way like uh people get addicted to social media because maybe they're trying exactly, to get more yeah. followers or engagement or just see what other people are doing like uh like maybe like you know with final fantasy actually that's a fucking perfect example i remember one time i tried to play through it and before the end of disc one with final fantasy 7 i just got obsessed with leveling up on some weird island yeah and you spend two or three days just fucking getting in random battles trying to get your level up and then you're just like what, what the fuck am I doing with my life like? Like it just, it's, yeah, like a, it's like a trick of the mind or an obsession. It's like, oh yeah, I'll, be, I'll get really good here and then the rest of the game will be a breeze. But it's like, you just go down a weird path that you we, shouldn't obsess about. Yeah, like it w- would have enjoyed that as much as just playing the game. Mm. That's another thing about playing a game like Final Fantasy VII, just, uh, since we're talking about it. Is it more fun to, to do stuff like that and get really strong and then kind of like just breeze through the rest of the game or what if you're weaker for the rest of the game then you're kind of challenged and it's a little bit you have to kind of roll with punches and like come up with different strategies and stuff like that wouldn't that yeah. be kind of like no more fun? but yeah but there's definitely that's definitely a way to do it and even like uh just one game there that kind of it's probably one of the only games that i've played in the last couple of years uh super metroid that fucking last <laughs> boss fight. I wasn't expect. I wasn't expecting that. What, that <laughs> one just... of the few, one of the few games I played in the last few years. You know that <laughs> Super Metroid from the early nineties. <laughs> but it, no, it's just that uh, I remember. Um, there was like you remember remember the year there was like uh, not a hurricane, but you remember there was that. It was big. storm. Yeah, yeah, it was like a fairly yeah, big yeah, storm. Yeah. And I remember like yeah, I was when just, was that? Jesus, like, maybe two or three years ago. But I was just playing. No, that longer. Anyway, it? sorry. I, like I was yeah, playing yeah. that at home. And I remember I was playing it all weekend. And then there was a point where I got to near enough the end of the game. But I was so obsessed that, thankfully, I didn't have work that day. But I was just in that mindset <laughs> of, like, I'm going to play it regardless. Like, the storm, the storm's nearly irrelevant to me. You know what I mean? It's, like, such a spectacular game. And that last boss battle against... Bastard. Uh, Mother, uh, Mother Brain. Oh, my God. That was so fucking <laughs> difficult. Like, I remember yeah, I yeah. died on it multiple times. And then I was just, like reassessing my metroid life where i was like why haven't i made myself strong enough like what, yeah. what did i do wrong i know and that's that's what like that's one good way to demonstrate the kind of games i like personally as well where but something like super metro is one of my favorite games as well it's it's um there's so many different things that can drive you through a game like um getting stronger making numbers go up in final fantasy or getting better online i love how much a game like super metroid like makes you have to kind of really engage with it like open up your fucking map and be like oh god where am i going okay where am i going now okay now i got this item i can go back here yeah. to the point you're kind of making you're kind of making mental maps and you're kind of remembering things and you're actually kind of doing a lot of thinking it's not like i'm not saying it's the absolutely has to be the way games are designed but usually when i find a game like that i end up enjoying it a lot more yeah 
like you said, you kind of get into a zone with it where you, you're not just killing time. You're not putting on YouTube while you're playing it. It's just you in the game for a while and you're completely engaging with it. Yeah, it's it's fucking beautiful. Like, because it's just it's something that I haven't done in in a in a good while. Like, and I, I remember just loving it. Like, um, I I have a game GameCube up in the apartment and I have like five or six nice. proper classic games that I'm going to hmm. break out now probably in the next month. Um, what sort of stuff do I have? I have Metal Gear, Twin Snakes, uh, courtesy of uh, the lovely Nigel Condon. Uh, he's become quite rare, you know. We might have fleeced Nigel he, there. Yeah, yeah, no, no. He got <laughs> he got it for me as a present, and uh, he said that there was only like two, wow. he could only find like two active copies in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And he wrestled rare. it off a pensioner, and you know. <laughs> um, uh, what else do I have? Uh, Resident Evil Four, which is just no masterpiece. One of my favorites. Creme de la creme. They're they're actually remaking that game, which is kind of another. It kind of ties back to my kind of yeah. It kind of ties back to my early thing because for me, Resident Evil Four is as completely playable and perfect. When as I hear like a remake now, like, so why why do it? Why? Yeah, exactly. Especially with a game like that, which is just aged like fine wine. The so only thing game. that I can remember where I was like, yeah, I kind of like that. You know, if you could switch through the weapons quickly and you didn't have to go in and yeah. to go boom boom. That was the only I'd, thing I I'd, remember. I'd agree with that. Yeah. If that's, if that's not that included in the in the remake, I would be furious. But people complain that you can't run and shoot at the same time. But like, you know, that's not bad controls. It's just weird controls. They clearly did it on a purpose to make you more vulnerable. You know. Yes, and like that's the weird <laughs> thing with like the older Resident Evils as well. The camera angles they put you yeah, into this weird. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, like, you were nearly always in this kind of like self-doubt state of mind when you were going through a new door you were like oh what fucking nightmare is going to yeah. be in here now Silent Hill as well like yeah you, you kind of forgive a lot of weird design choices with horror games more because I think horror games can get away with it because like bad camera angles in any other game you're like what, what's this like I can barely see where I'm going but like in horror games it seems to be in service of making you more vulnerable and scared and so like let's say even in the last decade like what games really stand out to you? Like if if we were doing like a a desert island discs sort of thing, you know, where you you go away to this desert island, you can pick three games of the last decade. What would you bring in? Oh mind? man, my my thought immediately went to um, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, which was kind of like I I love Zelda, but I love Nintendo and Zelda. But as much as I love them, I find they were there for years. They were kind of resting on their laurels a little bit. Like they, they had, uh, you know, you remember the Wii, which was a huge sensation, and uh, everyone, almost everyone, had a Wii, regardless of how many, how much fucking dust people's Wii gathered. Almost everyone had one, but they had another console after that called the Wii U, and that was like a really strange era for Nintendo. There wasn't really anything really creative going on, and it was it was kind of a failure. But then they came out with the Switch, and it launched with Breath of the Wild, which was like, as much as I love Zelda, Zelda was also resting on its laurels. It's just complete reinvention of the franchise, and it's like an open world game, which we have. A ton of open world games these days, but it, there's something something about this one. It's not story driven, so it's really the main focus is just you getting lost in that world and just wandering around and getting distracted and just discovering things. And it's honestly one of the greatest games I've ever played. Wow! It was like spectacularly done. I remember, it's kind of, like, it's, it, in terms of value, one of the best games ever was Wind Waker, and you got Ocarina of Time. Just do you remember bonus. that? That's oh. I, 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 no, I wouldn't have been, you know, spending my own income at the time, you know, but it was, yeah, completely, completely oh. fucking value. <laughs> I remember I just stayed home from school that day. I was like, what, like, what am I going to learn inside there that will be better than playing fucking that 
beautiful cell shaded game and then just having the treat of I never completed Ocarina of Time. I don't think I fucking just thinking about it, I don't think I completed either of the, the Zeldas that I played. It doesn't matter, you but they were so own, good like get your, own, get your own worth out of them. But yeah, you I haven't thought about that in ages. You're right. You got just fucking two games for price of one for no reason. They were just like, oh, Yeah, go on. That was such a treat. Okay. Yeah. Zelda is your first. What was it called? Zelda Breath, Breath of, of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. Came out like three years ago. Okay. It's really, really good. What um, else comes to mind? Um, I'm completely on the spot here. I might go smaller here. There was a game that came out a few years ago called The Witness. Harrison Ford? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I fucking studied that for Leaving Star, you know. Really? All the fucking, movie, all the fucking movies they could have chosen. I to digress. Yeah. I was like, what are we going to get? Are we going to get My Left Foot or 12 Angry Men? It's the Amish Harrison Ford action story, The Witness. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, there's a game that came out a few years ago called The, Wit- called the Witness. Um, it's really, really fascinating. It's You're just wandering around this idyllic island. No direction. You're just wandering around. And every now and then you come up against these signposts that have kind of mazes on them. And it's like... You've solved a little maze. Uh, you might have to get a line to one end of the maze to the other. Then eventually you come to one that there might be a dot on the maze. And it doesn't explain it to you, but you soon realize you have to make your line encircle the dot, and then that maze is complete. And that's basically the mechanic. But the more you wander around, the more you come to these inscrutable mazes. You could be like, what? This, this maze has a green triangle on it. What does green triangle mean? And you basically, I can't solve this. So you wander off again, because you can wander anywhere you want on the island. And... If you put time into it, what eventually starts happening is you might get the other mazes that might, you know, you solve it and you suddenly learn, oh, wait, I think I might know what to do with that green triangle now. The game slowly teaches you other things. And it's almost like Samus getting the super missiles or whatever. You're getting new items in Super Metroid to let you get through the game. But all that's happening in your brain. You're being trained while you're playing all the power-ups are happening in your brain and suddenly you're able to do all these complex mazes with all these arbitrary rules. And it's not like the most fun I've ever had in the game, but it actually probably was the best piece of game design I've seen in the last like 10 years or so. Right. It was brilliant. It was And it was made by one dude over like six years or so. There is something incredible about games as well in the sense that like let's say when we were growing up, our parents would have looked at games and gone like, "What? Like what? What are you getting out of that in terms of like positives?" <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I guess yeah, it, I guess it's it's such an investment of time. But like like a good game can teach you critical thinking. Like it, it yeah. can it can make you reevaluate things. Even like like with maybe shooter games, like your reaction time and your dexterity, 100%, 100%. speed of thought. There's a lot of things that... Uh, as someone who doesn't play shooters all that much, and certainly not online, you see like clips on YouTube of people who got really good at playing online shooters, and it's amazing. It really Absolutely is. spectacular. Like, yeah, yeah. It's bizarre as well. Like, what I didn't realize, like, that it's just become such an industry to watch people play games. Like, it's... Yeah, yeah. They're like sports stars. Like, they're like, they're like athletes. That's the thing. It's called uh, YouTube, like, let's players. Basically, people who play games on YouTube or on Twitch. It's been around a while now. Have you ever watched people? Like, is that something you're interested in, or would you just? It's not something that. Yeah, I, I, I prefer to play it myself. But there are some games like I'm kind of you know older, so I'd be kind of like, oh, this guy's playing some super old Nintendo games. I, I will and have never played. I will watch someone play an old game like that. But I don't have much. I, you know, I think it is actually. It's. I think people aren't really watching for the games. I think they're watching for the personalities. I think people That's are into the, in, into the into the into the YouTubers. So you have to be nearly like a character. What I've heard as well is like you're kind of 
Um, this is just from like my housemates really into video games and he was saying like yeah. there's nearly like two types of personas there's like the wacky one or there's nearly like the more <laughs> kind of level headed one and people with the level headed person they even like a lot of people watch them and fall asleep to it you know what I mean it's nearly like a, yeah. like a soothing familiarity thing as well well I have like a YouTube channel that I really like where they watch um, they review new movies but they mainly watch old bad movies and talk about them and I put that on and I'm going to sleep just kind of similar. Like I sleep to those lads just talking about movies. Um, I think it's like, yeah. I think I, I can imagine. I, I can imagine people falling asleep to people playing video games. It makes sense. Um. So they review bad movies, is it? They watch them. Uh. Yeah. They watch them and then they like talk. They discuss them. They don't really review them. They just discuss them. Brilliant. You and, <laughs> you and the lads like this is something that like I've, I've dipped into this kind of world of watching bad movies, but like I, I never. I never got as engaged with it as you and the lads. Like you and the lads, it's nearly like a like a ritual thing. Like there's there's four or five yeah. of you and you'll sit down and fucking like no the room. The room was spectacularly bad. That's like that was that's a like the quintessential one. Oh. That's like the quintessential one. That's the famous one. Like yeah, um, I think it's brilliant. I think it's like I haven't. That's the thing. I haven't because you know people move apart and stuff. Like that you know, I haven't actually done it in years. So there during the first lockdown, we. Like you were there as well, Kev. We watched a bad movie over, um, whatever we were on Zoom or Skype. I was like, I had a great laugh. I love watching bad movies. Yeah. Of yeah. drinking, and watching bad movies, it's the funniest fucking thing. <laughs> like you'd laugh more, more than most comedies I've ever seen. Just yeah, You have yeah. to find the right time. There's a, there's a science to it. It's like there about ten years ago, or maybe more. I have no track of the fucking flow of time anymore. But um, stuff like um, Sharknado started coming out, which was uh, <laughs> you know, I know it is. It's like it's it's a it's a very silly concept but it was definitely people going oh my god people are watching movies just to laugh at them let's come up with as much ridiculous shit as we can you know instead of and, and you know which is it, they're a good laugh but i like i like finding the filmmaker <laughs> it's a bit mean but i like finding the filmmaker that genuinely yes. was trying yeah, yeah. To make you, something. you want you you nearly like in a schadenfraude sort of idea you you nearly want somebody to be pouring their heart out and this is like the room the room that's was kind of, was all the room is, yeah. magnum yeah. opus like that was supposed to be his mm. his definitive work and it's ludicrously ridiculous it's so yeah, it's, it's so incredibly bad that it's amazing like that rightly became the most famous one because it's one of the best ones. Like there's one Tell that me apparently lads... <laughs> oh, <I'm laughs> there's one mean there's one mean lads back in the day called Deadly Prey, which is it it wanted to be Rambo, basically. It's a complete ripoff of Rambo. It's about this guy who gets captured by these this, these fuckers and they're they're hunting him. They're hunting man. But he's the in most dangerous je- beast of all, some say. <laughs> he's in jeans cut off jeans and only cut off jeans for the entire movie and he's just kind of running around kind of just being this kind of like Rambo character and has these one-liners these ridiculous skills but because it's so sincere since since they because they thought they were making the coolest fucking action movie ever it's the funniest thing it's so so funny um I was a huge fan of the original Rambo I I've I've a real soft spot for like Stallone like that film in terms of in terms of an action film you're straight into it. There's no nonsense. Within like within like five minutes, he's busting And now there's a sad scene where he's trying to find his buddy and he's talking to his buddy's mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're right into the sorrow. You're right into the displaced <laughs> Vietnamese, Vietnamese veterans or Vietnam veterans, sorry. In terms but, of um, like action movies, man, I, 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 I think I now have a favourite. I watched it there about a week ago. 
Terminator of all time, 2. of all time. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. I think it's the perfect Is action. that the conclusion you come to? It's always been your favourite, as far as I remember. Really? No, well, maybe not. I always remember you liking it, no? I did oh, I... love it, but it's it's like uh, maybe yeah, I just yeah. hadn't seen it in so long. Um, I love as well, like, re-watching films with somebody that hasn't seen them. I love... I oh, love, it's the best. Ah, like, oh, man, there's something so good about it, like. Mm. And as well, like, if, if the person's just open to... Do you know what I mean? Because normally, like, there's one person who is like this is what I want to watch, which is me. You know what I mean? Hmm. I'm like, like these, these are, these are good films. Get fucked. Do you know what I mean? No, my just, time now. I, like I, I love, I love just somebody who's open-minded to just go, yeah, fucking we'll watch this. And you can appreciate it in a completely new way. And you can reappreciate it. Yeah. Ah, Terminator. Are you ever worried about the opposite though, Kev? Are you ever worried about the opposite when someone just, you know, just isn't into it? And it's kind of like, I kind of uh, like you less now. You, 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 yeah, <laughs> you, you have to, you have to take that risk. And what the what the person doesn't realize, in a sense, sometimes is that these are these are like you're not you're not picking something out of a fucking a lottery barrel. You're picking like a lottery meaning, barrel called your heart. Exactly, like who you are and things that shaped you. Like there's sometimes if I watch a film with my girlfriend and she's like, "That was really really bad." Like I'm just like, "Oh my god!" Like like what what was bad about it? Like why? How did you? It's just I don't know. I get a bit obsessed with it. I showed I showed I showed my girlfriend Gremlins there like the other week. She loves it. Good time had by all. <laughs> so that's good. So, so that the that's the exact opposite of what I'm talking of, about. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, that's the idea. Terminator Two. Did, did did you show her Terminator Two? Yeah, she loved that. Uh, but that's such a that's a that's a film that's very hard not to to like or love and like. Like, as a, it has a lot going for it. As a performance man, Schwarzenegger is spectacular in that film. It's it's the it's perfect the, part for him. That, that was just about to say. You took the words out of my mouth. Like Schwarzenegger isn't the best fucking actor you'll ever find, but like get <laughs> every actor has the perfect performance, and it is uh, the the T eight was he T eight hundred in um, Terminator two. Give me your clothes, but your you, bike, and your but, motorcycle. But I love Terminator one as well. Do you? That's brilliant. And why Terminator, what, what makes Terminator 2 even better is that you have all these things you can say about Terminator 2, but another feather in this cap is that it's also a perfect sequel. Because it, it, like, it has a very similar premise to the first one, but it's a very different feel to it. It's like a much more character-driven epic. The first one's a straight like, monster movie. Yeah. It's very simple. She's just been chased, and the guy is protecting her. And it's brilliant. I, th- I almost like them equally, because they just do different things. Can you think of many movies where the sequel is nearly unequivocally better like judgment day is one of those ones for me godfather 2 is better than the first one see i don't think i i think i agree with you in both cases but i don't think they're like dramatically unequivocally better i think the first ones are still it's not so much so i go like they knocked it out of the park the second one is way better mm. godfather 1 and terminator 1 i think are both fantastic yeah um I don't know. I think I love the first Star Wars, but I love the second Star Wars more. Like Empire Strikes Back is better than New Hope. Um, oh man, I don't know. It's tough because it it, it is oh. very, it is very hard to like, especially if the first one has like your expectations are nearly unrealistic for a sequel with, with most good films. You know what I mean? You're like yeah, the, the Dark Knight. That's one. That's another one. Yeah, and I also really like Batman Begins, but Dark Knight's definitely better. Yeah. Yeah, good shout. Okay, okay. Fuck but it. you know what? We've went down. Go, go on, go, sorry, go. go on. I was just going to say, you said Terminator 2 is the best action film ever made. Do you know what a real modern, modern-ish in the last five years? 
Contender is, though. Do tell. Mad Max, Fury Road. I think I might like it better than Terminator 2. Whoa. <laughs> so, are you Whoa. okay? Whoa. Really? Don't disconnect. Yes. Yes. Fuck, I'll have to... Jeez, I'll have to, I'll have to give that one a go again, so... Because I, I do definitely respect like your opinion, it. but that was a... I don't know. Man, I saw it, but it didn't... It didn't <laughs> stick with me. I don't know. But as well, do you know, when you, those... do you know when you sometimes... Have, like, you have to be in the, in the right frame of mind to watch a film as well sometimes. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I remember watching Raging Bull for the first time and hating it. And then for years, I was like, Raging Bull is shit. And then I just realized I was just in a bad a bad mood. I didn't want to, want to watch a movie about, you know, bad person doing bad things. Watch it years later, and I'm like, Raging Bull's one of the masterpiece. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, um, mm. it's mental that he put on that much weight, though, at the end. It's so yeah, mental. Yeah, yeah. When, it, when it didn't even, like... It didn't even look like it looked like Fat De Niro in a suit, like like a like a fat suit. It didn't look. <laughs> yeah, like, I wasn't yeah, like, yeah, when he oh, the suit doing remember, the, yeah. Do you remember when he put on seventy pounds? Wasn't that incredible? It was just yeah. he looked terrible. <laughs> That's the point. If oh, oh, you mean look terrible as in it did? He didn't yeah, even no, look believably you, yeah. fat. It just looked like a yeah, bad yeah. fat suit. It looked like he like it was weird and like he was so shredded in that film. Like he's got he's gonna be got a Kevin here, is this? <laughs> De Niro, like young De Niro, is still my favorite actor. Didn't like. There's something about young De Niro that, that yeah. is so raw, so dynamic. When you look at films like, um, like Taxi Driver, is is such. Mm-hmm. A, it's so dark. So, one, it's so real. I want one, one film I watched this year for the first time. Of Scorsese as well as uh, The King of Comedy, which I actually I've watched during the first lockdown. Well worth a watch, and he completely plays against type. Like that was made back in like the late '80s, and like you uh, like. It's so weird to retroactively go. I've never seen young Rob De Niro in such a role, you know. So he's completely he like. Is he a stand-up in that, or what? What is it? No, he's just kind of sort of loser who thinks he's the funniest guy on earth, and he kind of he's trying to get onto this talk show. Have you seen the movie Joker? Came out this year. It's actually very similar to or last year. It's very similar. I and he's um, see that, but um, I think that's going to be me and Nigel's Christmas film this year. We have, we have oh, a, we very have very festive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joker's 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 good. It's just that it um. It took a lot from uh, King Comedy, but it's yeah. He's he's kind of um, yeah. It's things he he he's obsessed with just talk shows and getting on his show to the point where things start to get a bit criminal. Is basically all I'll say. To you. But definitely. Um. Okay, we went down a tangent there, but going back to the Desert Island Discs, what's your final game of the last decade that you bring with you? Oh no! Oh no! The last ten years. It's actually really difficult. I'm actually looking at my games over here now. Like, like Sophie's now. Choice, like a me. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. There was like... There was like a brilliant game that came out called Hollow Knight. But honestly, it's, such, it's so easy to describe. Do you know everything that's so good about Super Metroid? These, yes, guys were clearly mass, these guys were clearly massive fans of that genre, and they just made the best one possible. I don't really have much to say about it, but it's just like a brilliant uh, Metroid-esque game. It's and so, so like, is it like the old Metroid, like side-scrolling, going yeah. through levels? Ah, oh, okay, cool. You're somebody, Liam, that like for as long as I've known you, like you've been a very creative person in terms of like when we were even uh, teenagers, like you used to do a lot of uh, like writing and short stories. Has, has that been yeah, something yeah. that you've nearly continued or... It's definitely something that I've continued. 
not enough, but still continuing. So it's still a win for me. I, I always wish I'm doing more writing. Uh, writing is such a hard thing to do at the end of a workday mm. or when you have things planned and stuff. But I am still writing. Um, just whatever I can write. I have a kind of ongoing project that's kind of getting me through a little bit of a lockdown. That's fun. Used to, I used to post things on Facebook a lot, just like just as I'd write something, I'd be like, <laughs> "That made me laugh. That's stupid." And then I'd have nothing to do with it, so I just have to throw it up online. I don't, I don't, I don't really mind after that, you know. But yeah, but you used to write too, Kev. Yeah, like we used to kind of yeah. share our writing I remember. with each other. I absolutely remember. Yeah. yeah, I used to love calling down and sitting on the old desktop and reading. You're just eyes just burning into the back of my head. Just what I, you think about that. Yeah, I, I remember. I, I can. My love for writing can be, you know find its origins in a single moment when I think I killed off one of my main characters and uh, no, my main character killed off like his best friend and then the next chapter began, <laughs> we're only like 14, 15 my next chapter began with how they met and I think you, I remember you going like oh whoa and I was like wow look look what I can do <laughs> look yeah. at the emotions I can <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, so yeah. stupid because I still have that, I finished when I was a 15 I fucking wrote like a 120 page fantasy novel, I finished it and it's terrible, and I hate it. But I, if I ever, I still have it at home, saved, backed up, and everything. If I ever lost it, I'd be heartbroken because it's such a time capsule. Absolutely. So proud that I, yeah, I'm so proud that I did it, but it's not well written. Also, it's so, it's so violent. It's <laughs> the main thing looking back. It's like, it's just so violent. It's kind of like a violent Narnia. But isn't that really like cool? The way it's kind of like it's like. Uh... As you said, like it's it's like a time capsule into Liam at that age, and like a, yeah. like an adolescent boy just moving into his teenage years. Like yeah, it's, it's a very cool little insight just to even see what you were interested in at the time or what what influenced. Hundred percent, yeah. Like, like, like I, I, that I'll keep any embar- I keep any embarrassing writing I can, like just because I don't I don't want to throw away anything I created, anything I wrote, even even if it's absolute crap. But that's particular. That's a particular one because I actually finished. I remember, I remember finishing and going, "Yes, fucking send this off to the publishing house now." Never <laughs> happened, <laughs> but uh, like read, reading back, it's so weird at that age to like write with like. And there's there's a ton of people at that age who could have written way better than me, but I was just you know, just writing for the fun of it. It's just so weird to, to find like the lack of insecurity and in it just like whatever I want to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I wish I could write so bravely just to. Barge through it. I wish I could do that now. It's so funny. I read it not not recently, but about two years ago. I read it, the whole fucking thing, and I can barely get through it. I had to stop like six, seven times because I was just so kind of embarrassed and cringy, even in my own company. But like, like I said, it kind of made me it kind of gladdened my heart that it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned there that like, is it now? Is it is it a little bit less easy to? Like, is it because you're kind of more aware of your writing or why is it a little bit more difficult to, to get Yeah, I think you kind of criticize yourself a bit more, even though, like, one lesson I'd give to anyone is to just, like, write anything you can, even if it's absolute shit, and just get it out of your head onto the page. Like, it's advice I wish I could I could take myself more, even even as I give it out. It's just definitely too, too critical. It kind of slows me down. Um critical of your own work or would you be critical if you were going to release it to the public how people view it critical of my own work i think more so than anything anything i write the last while that i've released just as a post online has been the kind of level where i'm like i'm I'm happy with this but it's 
not the most important thing. And it's, it's fun to send that out. But anything I was trying to write, write seriously, I just find myself too critical. I find, like, in the same way that we used to do when we were kids, like, I've done it recently with, like, people, uh, friends from work, and just friends, like, sharing writing with each other as, as a little group or something, and kind of writing and then sharing it. I, I find it really handy to just take constructive criticism and kind of keep going and keep writing. I find if I keep it in my own head for too long, I just end up hating it. Right. Um, I would actually, like, yeah, it's, weird, it's so weird to say this out loud because I wish I could take these lessons. I was just like, if you're ever writing a book, write, write, just write the first draft as dog shit because you're not sharing with anyone. You can write it as soon as it's out of your head onto the page. You, you can tinker it and, like, make it better. So I'm currently attempting a first draft, so hopefully I can, I can get through it. it. I think it's so important as well to have some form of creative outlet. It, like it, it's so important. Definitely. It's so important just to be creative in something rather than just to be yeah. going through life and going to work. Maybe you're working a job that doesn't inspire you. And then as well, it's like if you're in lockdown to have an outlet, I think it's critically important just for for your own, like the health of your mind to be able to engage <laughs> with. Some, it's really, really like um, it's satisfying for its own thing. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not like you're focused on the the extrinsic thing where it's like, oh, what does this mean? Like, what, like you know, where is this going? And like, how are people going to maybe perceive it? It's just so important to do it nearly for the love of it. Like that's like yeah. try and keep in that, like in that frame of mind for as long as possible anyway, before you, you look to the external. Does that make sense? Yeah. And um, would, you, would you describe this podcast as the kind of the end result of what you just said there for you like, during lockdown? Absolutely. Like that has been, it, yeah. this has been, and like it's kind of it's kind of weird like if you if you listen to a podcast and maybe maybe it's it's not a I, I call it an art form maybe an art form you're not particularly engaged by like doing having having a chat where you're basically flying by the seat of your pants you don't know how the other person's going to react you don't know what you think about things until you really kind of engage with them in the moment there's a real yes a creativity and a, a back and forth a podcast like this this type of podcast where if both of us don't engage it's it's absolutely redundant you know what i mean i was planning on doing that to sabotage the podcast actually but then the conversation <laughs> just got too too insightful and pithy that i just had to <laughs> Do you know what i was thinking of no, there, yeah, man? just great, uh, yeah. like just like i don't know it's not not even about writing but can you remember um when I was in transition year, so like transition year is that time when you get to like do different bits of work experience and this and that. And I did my work experience in like a college radio station and I had to write a report about it. And Dude. I called down. I, re- I remember it immediately when you began this. I, I knew exactly where oh you were going. Oh my God. So like Leo, You didn't have a printer. You didn't have a yeah. yeah, I didn't have a printer. <laughs> so I called down to you and the lads are there as well. And we're all having a laugh at you typing out what i'm based i'm like talking to you haven't i i was like oh di- like yeah were you dictating it i think so why, why do we have to do it that way what, 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 i couldn't type 2000s technology did we have at the moment yeah, yeah i, th- I, I think maybe i think maybe like we were kind of caught for time like we had to be home at a certain time and yeah, you were just, yeah, you were just yeah, a quicker typer true. and <laughs> i was dictating it to you and then you were adding in all this ridiculous shit and we were all laughing about it and then at the end of it, you printed it out in that version. And I was like, I just thought it was funny at the time. And then the next day I was like, oh my God, I have to hand this in in school. And I tipexed everything oh, 
line by line and but like it looked like it looked like the writings of a madman after it because at least 30 percent of it for like 30 percent of oh, it come was on because there was all this 30 commentary and the teacher who was running uh transition year he went to the time to just slowly remove the tipex and read it out so dramatic of the whole year and i seemed like a maniac like Nige was nearly yeah. on the ground having a seizure of laughter in front of me and everybody else was like she's like hockhead was fairly quiet like, he's a lunatic like what what is it's this so, like? it's so it's so mean in hindsight i think it's like i'm so i'm so quiet i think it's the only like you know hilarious fun prank i ever pulled and now i look back at it i'm like that's so mean very funny <laughs> yeah funny though nothing happened you didn't get expelled or anything uh, I nearly got suspended a couple of times that year. That Perfect. Teacher, that teacher oh, did not. Unrelated. Uh, okay. Uh, oh yeah, no, no. Or that, that was, or was that, that, was, that was a that was a red that was a like a that was a mark against me. Definitely, like he did well, not look, hit I, me uh, after that. But there was other ridiculous scenarios where, like, one time, um, me and Nigel used to do like the video recordings for you know, like school events. So we, we videotaped, I think it was called like the Advent Wreath, some sort of a, a thing where there's performative stuff inside in the church next to the school. And we used to do it up mm-hmm. in the balcony. And the teacher who owned all the cameras, he gave us the responsibility of like, you know, locking it up, putting the key back and, you know, going on with our lives. It was not, not much to ask. But me and Nigel did our job. Uh, the next day we dust off school and went drinking with uh with two of the girls in my house while my parents were at work and Nige took <laughs> Nige had the key with him in the house and the school was yeah. ringing ringing uh ringing my house because uh there was a hurling match on they wanted to tape it like an important hurling match and they didn't have the camera oh, the details the details oh, of the hurling god. match <laughs> yeah exactly oh my god so <laughs> stressful like imagine being half drunk at like one o'clock in the day and then you're like how do I get through this minefield the next day? But yeah, it was it was one of those years where it was like I was a quiet. Could you have cycled in and get? you cycled in and give them the keys? No, but sure. Then it, like I'm. Sick. That would have been Act Two of your hilarious sitcom situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But like you know, I would have been fucking half drunk, uh, cycling mm-hmm. in, going, "Yeah, I'm gonna go back to go back to bed now because I'm sick." Wink, wink. Um, yeah. Fucking good times. <laughs> Here, going yeah, back yeah. to um, creative writing, like. Is there anything uh-huh. you could even share with us maybe in the last year or so that you've written? Just to give give a taste about what is what is actually, in the mind of Liu Sheehan. I don't have anything from the last year, but I have something from the last couple of years that I put up on Facebook. Would that be okay? Of course, man. It's just um, a stupid little thing I wrote that I thought was... I'm probably hung over and I wrote it because I thought it was funny. But I've, I've saved it anyways. It was on my phone. I found it on my phone. Does it have a title? It's called Lenny. Will I read it? Work away, bud. Okay. All right. I should have done this years ago, my mother said solemnly. Introduced the two of you to each other like this. But I was afraid. Afraid of my greatest secret coming to light. But John, honey, this is Lenny. Lenny is your half-brother. I was stunned. Simply stunned. My words came out in a stammer. Where's his other half? He lost his top half in a fire, John, (laughs) many years ago. I don't 
I don't understand. Is he living? Is he alive, I mean? John! My mother snapped. Don't be rude. Of course he's alive. Lenny lives a perfectly healthy life as a below-the-waist boy. I took a moment. My mouth was dry and my heart was hammering. It's just that... It's just that I would have thought that human, humans needed all their top bits to, like, to just, like, be alive and such. Okay. Maybe I should leave the two of you alone together. Yes, that would be best. To get to know each other. You have years to catch up on, after all. And my mother left. The silence that hung between my half-brother Lenny and I was excruciating. A silence on my end because I was truly speechless, and on his end because he had nothing above his waist. After a while, I thought to maybe compliment his shoes, even though they were Crocs, if only to break the horrible silence. But just as I was about to speak, he suddenly began to tiptoe towards me, like cartoonishly tiptoe, as if he thought I couldn't see him or something. He then proceeded to stamp down on my foot so, so hard, causing me to howl out in pain. And that was that. That was the beginning. <laughs> 20 years, 20 years have passed since that day. The other night, my wife told me that Lenny had to go. She said that the living arrangement was tearing our marriage apart, that it was either him or her. I told her that Lenny was my half-brother, and what was I supposed to do? He had nobody else. He had nowhere else to go, and he had no top half. <laughs> she said She said that he'd been shitting on everything lately, on the furniture, on the lawn. I told her that I was aware. She asked me how he even makes shit. I told her that I did not know. I told her that I have never known. She bloody well knows I've never known. She is upstairs now, as I write this. Resting, she says. But I know that she is drinking. She drinks a lot these days. And Lenny is in the lounge. If I lean back in my chair, I can see him from here. He is sitting on my couch, legs crossed, casual, wearing his jorts. And I can see, even from over here, that he has bulging through those jorts, just the biggest erection. I want to... I once assumed that Lenny had the capacity to become sexually aroused in just the same way as the rest of us, and that was why he had erections. But I know better now. There is no libido there, no desire. He has as much sexual arousal as he has arms or a head or a heart. No, I have long since realized that Lenny can somehow will his erections into being, and that he only does so because he knows that they upset me. <laughs> I, do not, I, do, <laughs> I do not know many things in this world but I know that those erections are directed at me and I know that they are hostile. But I must end my wallowing here. That erection over there has given me a headache and I have so much work to do. Much shit to scrub. Besides, Lenny will soon come to me. He will start rolling out the twister mat with his knees as he does every, every evening at 5 p.m. sharp. He will beckon me to come play with him, also with his knees. Every evening at 5, he does this. Every evening at 5, I play twister with my half-brother. Damn you, mom. The end. <laughs> Thank you. That was lovely. That was fucking brilliant, man. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> I haven't actually read that in ages myself, for ages myself. Can you remember, like, the the inspiration for Linear? Like, what, what goes through your mind when you're about to write something like that? I think particularly in this one, I wanted to write something short, and that was so pointless, like, I just throw it up online. And I just sitting there, I think it was in bed and I just kind of beginning at, you know, thinking of like beginnings of sentences, like to begin the story. And I don't know how I just came to like, he's your half brother. And I was like, where's his other half? And I was like, oh, wait, wait, that's good. And I think I just went on from there. Um, I quite like that one. It's, it's super dumb, but I really like it. 
I love I love those little short stories where you just get an insight into a particular kind of facet of that world that's created. Yeah, that's exactly. I think someone said to me like I showed that to him once. It was just like, oh, would you we should turn that into like something longer? And I was like, ah, it's just this little thing, <laughs> just this little thing, this little moment. Do you like as somebody who's written things for an extensive period of your life do you have a process in terms of creative writing like do you have to get yourself into a certain state of mind do you write at a certain time of day like what's that like for you yeah i wish i could like be like mad insightful but thank god you said certain time of day i'm actually a massive night owl in general and i find it so much easier to write in the middle of the night like in the dead of night it's not healthy like my sleep pattern has never really been that healthy like i've always hated mornings and loved the night you know, obviously, sometimes with life you have to change that. But if I if I want to get a lot of writing done, it's I always prefer to write at night, like midnight at post midnight, like. And when you get in like a really good swing of things, I can be writing to like three, four o'clock in the morning, and it's just quiet. And is that like because there's no distractions from other people? Like most people are are not awake. Like is that is that something? Yeah, yeah. Like, or yeah, do you like, feel I, like I there's have... really a certain creativity in the dark? I don't know. I've always. <laughs> Like that, ooh. No, I've always liked the fucking nighttime. I like. I kind of wish I didn't. And it's not that I don't like people, or I'm unpersonable, or I'm some kind of hermit. I just I do like kind of the solitude of like late at night. Sometimes it can just be like fucking around in it or playing a game or doing some writing. And just to, uh, maybe it's just all. It's definitely all psychological. I've definitely just convinced myself that though I like writing most in nighttime. If I had to, I definitely could do it in the daylight. But I just try not to. How many of those short stories do you think you've written? Mm, a couple, maybe 20. And have you shared all of those with people or are there some? I think the, the, majority of them, the majority of them end up on Facebook. A couple of them only like Fiona, my girlfriend, has, has read. And a couple of them, like there's def- definitely been a couple of like, um, like there was one night in particular, I remember I was just drinking with work people and uh, it was so embarrassing. But uh, someone's like busted out a guitar instead of singing a song they wrote. And I was just just at that level of drunk where I was just like, I am also creative. I just busted out my phone. I just like read out one of my short stories. Luckily, like people laughed. So it was fine. Not laugh at me, laughed because it was a funny story. So it was grand. It was just one of those things. There's there's stories here and there that I busted out sometimes. For short stories, do you prefer comedic writing or do they also go much darker or like, is there a certain genre that you gravitate towards or are you kind of more expansive? So I have this short story that I've like, I've wrote, it's about the same time as that one, about three years ago, which I did a second draft of and I haven't done it. I should do something with it. And it was meant to be short and it is still technically a short story, but it was dramatic and it ended up going on for much longer than I intended, which is good. I, I like, you know, finding out that, you know, a story has more legs than it. it just it kept going. I, I, I enjoy writing funny stuff because I think there's less scrutiny on the quality of the writing because sometimes if the writing is a little bit worse, it can be funnier, if that makes sense. Not to take away from my own writing, but I like writing something that short that's supposed to be funny because I love the process of having it done and then going back to it and like finding each, there's always a funnier way to say each sentence. There's always like a funnier kind of way to phrase that. And that's actually like, I, I had to read it out here and I was glad to do so, but it's actually why I enjoy like... Um, writing stuff like that because i'm not i don't fancy myself a stand-up comic or anything like that i like making people laugh with with writing with words like i i i would love to hire a professional to read that short story and i bet you it could be like you know better but i 
prefer people reading it than me reading it to them. That makes sense. So I think I just I don't know. I like tinkering with the sentences and like making what I think is the best form of it. So if you were viewing yourself, would you see your funniest way of expressing yourself in writing? No, I don't. No, not necessarily. Like you're fucking hilarious in a group, like. <laughs> yeah, that's different. That's like off the cuff, isn't it? There, there's like that's that's a chat, like. Um, I don't know, Kev. I don't know. I think, regardless, I like constructing something, like in that way that you can't really. Like I can't make you wait in the middle of a conversation and go, "I got this." Look at this. And tell this anecdote with all the perfect sentences. Yeah. Not that I want it. You're, you're very really... you're very reactive like as in like you can make a comment that will have the lads in absolute fits of laughter like you're very very quick-witted in the moment yeah thank you well, so are you um ha, is comedy is comedy something you never even thought about doing or is there just is there is there a scene in limerick no Obviously i don't think so year, like but... <laughs> thanks Kev there's no scenes anymore no um I've seen a comedy show in Limerick but it was in like the upstairs of a bar and we're all kind of sitting around it wasn't really a major thing Limerick's kind of secret is that it has, it has a class music scene I don't think I don't think it has a good I don't think it has a I could be wrong like maybe if I'm in that world then no, I don't think it has a robust comedy scene imagine Dublin does obviously yeah Dublin has a pretty good scene there's maybe like 10 or 12 places that you can easily or at least you could do like a amateur stand up and get stage time mm. which is like really really important it's just um but you did it right you did you were, you were doing it before covid right yeah i did it twice in mm. december last year and like it was something yeah, right. it's kind of weird like it's like at the time and in the build up to it i was really really obsessed with it but then as soon as i did it i didn't force myself to get up on stage again in the new year because like let's say mm. the second time i did it comedy essentially shut down until maybe the end of january and then i don't know why it was maybe just like nearly a, a complacency thing because like you're just like especially at the start of last year do you know what i mean i was like oh yeah no i've done comedy and i can get into that again at some stage during the year and then everything just shut you know what i mean yeah it's crazy isn't it and yeah. it's like i I, li I like to be kind of realistic in terms of uh, there's times there's times during this year where I was like, oh, man, I'm like, uh, it'd be brilliant to be able to do comedy again and stuff like that. But there's also like a realistic way of looking where you're like, here, you could have done it straight away after Christmas and you didn't. So like there's this kind of like there's a divergence in maybe how much I really wanted to do it again or how much. You know what I mean? It's like I'm looking back in it and not maybe looking at it realistically. Like now, because I can't do it, it's something that I'd really, really like to do again when the time comes. But yeah. because it was an easy option and maybe because I had like conquered a fear of actually getting a few laughs on stage the second time, it was, there was just a complacency in me, which is a bit strange. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, did you like that? Did you enjoy doing it while you're up there? I, like, like, I'd be far, I think I'd be far too anxious. The first time, the first time um, I was on stage for six minutes and it felt like 90 seconds and I did not think it yeah. well at all. It just, it was like, I was so confused. I was like, what, what the fuck happened there? And then I had a week to sort of like relook at my material and maybe I changed 50% of it and tried to tighten it up. And the second time it went quite well. And I was kind of like, maybe 
I don't know, like satisfied with that. Do you know what I mean? It's like if, if it went terribly again that next time, I probably would have had an incredible like, oh, I want to prove myself right. So I would have got on stage the, the next time. But I don't know, for whatever reason, I think, you know what it was actually? I I was quite happy with the, the five minutes that I did. And, but after I had done them and after I had maybe shared them with friends, I was like, I don't really want to do that again. So I got very obsessed with trying to write None. new stuff. And I didn't realize that to get that five minutes to the way that I wanted it to be, it took much Gotta longer. Refine it. Yeah, it took much longer yeah. than I remember. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't really familiar with the writing process and stuff like that. So I I should have just tried to practice it somewhere else. You know what I mean? But it wasn't, that wasn't the way I looked at it. And then fucking the world shut down in March. So it is something that I'd love to do again next year whenever, whenever I can. But it's not something that I, I'm even going to think about until it's a possibility. You know what I mean? It's just such a, like anything that I write now is going to be irrelevant whenever, do you know what I mean? How about that lockdown food? Huh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that election, Sinn Féin did well. What? You suck. <laughs> Who, who'd you fancy, Biden or Trump? Who, who's got it? Who's got it? Um, I, I'd be, I'd be worried like my things would be so dated. I'd be like, you know, setting up on a stage full of people. I'd just be like, how about that? You know, phew, Rocky One is pretty serious, but then when Rocky Four, he gets a robot. You know, I was, I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, or something like that. You know, it's weird as well because I... you you're very protective of your writing. Like I I never wanted to say any joke to anybody because stand up is weird as well. Stand up is like uh, stand up is like good public speaking in a way. Like if you like, let's say yeah. if I if I was a good public speaker and I was to talk to you in the way that I would deliver a po- like a speech, <laughs> it would seem mental. You know what I mean? Like if you were talking to Obama, I've, I've met people like Obama that. Sorry, talks, Oh, sorry, no, I was just saying, like, if if you were to meet Obama and Obama talked to you the way he does in speeches, it, it'd be mental. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's so like I was very I was very protective at the time of like, like, I'm not going to talk one of my jokes because it's like, Johnny, you, know, you just feel a bit like artificial trying to do it as comedy. And then you're like, if the person doesn't laugh, you're more self-conscious. So like the first time I tried those jokes was in front of people. And like, I think that's, Whoa, the, wow. that's the only way, it's the only way to do it because that's the only way you know whether it's good or terrible. That, that's also nerve wracking though, no? Unbelievably. But like, you're not doing mm. it. You're not like, it, it's not that, it's not that you go to an amateur comedy night and fucking Richard Pryor is on before you. Do you know what I mean? Everybody's at a fairly basic level and everybody's well, at a fairly... Well, he, well he's dead, Kev. <laughs> but everybody's at a similar level and everybody's trying new stuff as well you know what i mean so like there's a there's a a healthy community in terms of people respect your stage time you respect their stage time which is nice if i I was in an audience and it was like an amateur stand-up and like they weren't being very good like i i'd be polite and stuff like that like i unless they were being like prejudiced or like really offensive i would never give a stand-up shit like just laugh and clap you know but then also you know genuinely laugh and that's that's better if I ever see you, Kev, you'll, you'll, you'll hear my real laugh and also my like, ha, 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 because I'm being super LOL. Yeah. <laughs> but I've met people like before, like house parties and just drinking, um, where they sound like a stand-up. You were just saying your thing there. And like, it's never like, it surprised me to hear, oh, they do stand-up, like, you know, 
part-time or some of that are amateur stand-up it's like people kind of practicing on you in those situations always comes across as really smarmy and like you're right you better use it on the stage rather than at a fucking party you know yeah and it's just like i don't know like if you're if that's the way that you're gauging your jokes as well you'll get fucking annoyed if somebody half interrupts you you know what i mean you're like <laughs> they, they ask you a detail that you didn't clarify you're like here i'll fucking I'll go back to what was in the shop in a second. Yeah. <laughs> You're freaking up my rhythm. You wouldn't, you wouldn't interrupt Will Smith during one of his rap songs, would you? <laughs> We're going to Miami. <laughs> Will Smith, huh? Yeah. Any yeah, other crack with you, man? Either. Do I have another crack? No, we're literally just we're just chilling here in the apartment. Um, I'm not doing anything more than going for walks and going shopping. To be perfectly honest with you, I have like. Um, Stuff like this, well, not not a, it's my first podcast, but um, of, of the lockdown, but um, Zoom calls and like catching up with people. I wrote a few games like D and D type things, but what? they're not D and D. Where yeah, I wrote like a game, three of them actually, that you can kind of um, I get on like a call with people from work or friends, or whatever, and like I basically be the dungeon master type thing over uh, on Zoom. And, oh, D and D is Dungeons and Dragons, is it? It's not. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. But it's not really like I not any of that. I just know fighting or stats or rolling dice. It's just like basically you're on a ship, and I made I made these three ridiculous kind of puzzle games where there are people on ships, and I played those for a while. That was fun. So are they board games or are they, what are they? No, it's I I'm the board. Your imagination is the board. So like it'd just be a normal Zoom call or a Discord call, and I'd be like, okay, you're on a you're in a room that has this and this room is over here and. And then I'd get people, I'd, I'd have all written out in a sheet in front of me of what the solution is. And then people would be like, okay, I want to check out the snooker table. And I'd, I'd basically have puzzles and stuff like that. Mostly inspired by my fucking childhood of like Monkey Island and stuff like that. You remember Monkey Island and that kind of, oh, yeah. that kind of stuff? Guy brush, I just have kind of people. A mighty pirate. Yeah. Just stuff like that. So I, that's actually a good outlet during the, during the lockdown. Kind of, I made a few of those. That was fun. Nice. But that, that's basically my social life now i'm not not going out obviously i can't get so much just hanging out here watching movies hanging out with you on playing games it must have been strange to move into the city at the time when there's just such a little yeah, we activity moved, yeah we moved in when ireland was open again uh so we did have a couple of kind of like you know groups over like friends or nothing major because there was always restri- restrictions but yeah then it did kind of just go boom and shut down again but it's all good I'm hoping things will um, fucking reopen in some way, shape, or form in December. But it's like any any clinging on to oh yeah, it has to be as good as Christmas last year. It's just it's it's an un yeah. it's an unrealistic yeah no yeah yeah. Absolutely. I'm just hearing if if I'm going back to work like in the first of December or what's happening. I don't I have no clue. If you basically had to waiting, betting it, what would you think? I don't. I, I generally don't know. Um, I, I always think that they'd open because they love money, but I'm like, even if things, everything else opens, I'm just like seeing what, I'm wondering what's going to happen with the cinema. Omnitech's going to have a monopoly on kind of Irish cinema though, since like Odeon never opened properly during lockdown or that, but they did. So I, my bet would be yes, they're going to open, mm. but yes, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did kind of way. Have you enjoyed being out of work for an extended period or is there times when you're just like, how do I fill days? You know what I mean? It's weird. Like I'm, I've, I'm such an indoorsy person. I never f- fail to fill my days. To be honest, I'm very good at just like, you know, 
relaxing at home. I'm not one of those kind of people who like needs to be out and about and stuff like that, but it hasn't really felt like, you know, like a holiday, obviously, or anything like that, to the point where I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm not finding it difficult, but I prefer, I'd like, I prefer to go back to a job I don't like that much to get normality back, that kind of way, you know? Yeah. Like eventually you nearly crave some sort of routine or structure. Exactly. Where it's like some sort of normality. Like, um, I don't know. Like I remember like back when I was maybe 20 after college, I was on the for about six months and my days used to consist of like watch three episodes of Top Gear on Dave and then <laughs> go for a 20 mile, uh, bike ride with like a mountain bike that's for good like hours but it was just like like you're like that was my thing where i was like okay i'll watch that for like three hours now and then i'll uh do you know what i mean i needed some sort of routine even if it was a main yeah, routine but like i said to you earlier uh it's like if you're in the kind of the rut of the lockdown it's like in you're watching netflix or you're just like playing some game i i, I, I do find it good to just watch something you haven't seen before or something you haven't seen for ages and just kind of you know because we are, we're all kind of forced to be indoors and things. Just kind of stimulate yourself in a way that's not you kind of going, well, I got nothing else to do. I guess I'll just rewatch this again. Kind of just, you, you think it's relaxing, but when you have no other option, it doesn't really make you feel like that. You know what I mean? It's nice to come home from a, day, a hard day's work and go, oh, I'm going to watch this thing I love. That's really comfort food. But when you have nothing else to do, no other options, it's kind of not as fun. Yeah. Um... I think in a way. I don't know. One thing that I've really enjoyed, like I, I, over the last couple of years, I didn't watch a lot of football, but uh, me and Marcy, like occasionally, and Owen as well, we'd like stream a game together and just yeah. watch that. And it's just a good way to chat. Like you wouldn't even be that focused on the game. It's just uh, it's a nice passive way to catch up. I think mean, yeah, really yeah, like yeah, that. I like where that. it's like, Joe, you're nearly you're part of the same team watching something where there's a distraction and then conversation can happen. It's always handy to have like a, like we can all talk to each other whenever we want, but it is handy to have like some kind of event. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. It's hilarious when the event finishes well, everybody's like, yeah, all right, I'm gone now. <laughs> <laughs> that just shows what they really care about. Those damn uh, Irish Canadians. <laughs> it's strange not to have anybody back as well for Christmas. Like, that is the weird thing. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Like the Irish Christmas absolutely. is such a, especially for a country that like has a lot of immigration it is it's a it's a big important time for like there are people that you'd only see once a year but you catch up with them as if you're still yep. back when you used to hang out yeah like we do almost every year christmas like and i think we might have missed like one year or have we missed any years or we always just regathered i can't even remember i think there's always been something you know what i mean yeah 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 maybe cans in a field maybe cans in a field man we'll see how it goes Exactly. Um, how many fields are around now? <laughs> nah, we have to go back to the old one near the train tracks. Be, uh, get Mark scattered the field. Oh my god! Christ, the train tracks. God, was that, yeah, is that even there anymore? Um, I don't that know. That big old field that you know behind your it, it might, it might just be. It might just be developed houses at this stage. Actually, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Look, I'll, okay, I'll scatter field, and, uh, and then I'll make a, a group chat. I'll get all of us back. Um. Lee, man, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure no to catch up. And uh, we'll have to do this again in the new year. Yeah, absolutely. Just let me know whenever. All really right, buddy. Fun. Thanks, Kev. Enjoyed it. Peace. Peace.